Hello. Hey, it worked. Sorry, Hooray. sorry about that. I I must have turned off. Uh, I must have turned down a switch. I shouldn't have. Oh, that's okay. Everything's good. Yes. Made it. We're here. That's how I like it. Everything working. Doings are transpiring. <laughs> All fine. That's right. Human doings, i.e. airing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sneaky Dragon. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. There you go. We did it. Excellent. Uh, we warmed up before here uh, by taking uh, some Voigt uh, Kampf tests. <laughs> That's uh, right. We're both uh, humans. We are oh. not replicants. Good to know. Until we get to the end of this episode where there'll be a twist. <laughs> we'll see what happens, but there you go. <laughs> I'm sure turtles, we'll, turtles I'm sure we'll remember. Oh, that's yeah. what's going to happen. Okay. That's a twist ending. It's a turtle being flipped. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, flipped turtles all the way down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of them are mutant ninja turtles as well. How much money do you think those guys made off of that? How much money do you think Eastman and Laird, who just like did a, a little parody of Teen Titans <laughs> and Ronin and X-Men and put it all together and created a thing called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, they uh, from did. From the day they started yeah. to now, how much money do you think? And I don't mean then you blow it all buying heavy metal. I mean, just like the money that came in, not the money that's gone out. I was going to say that one of them, I mean, they made pretty good money, but but the one only made like marrying a B movie actress money, right? So how, how he didn't make A list. He didn't make A list money. He made B list money. I, I don't see how that's possible. Like the sheer amount of TV series. But don't forget, they movies. sold they sold the, the they sold the property at some point as well. So. So, oh, did they? Yeah, whatever the furtherance of, uh, of that of the use of those characters, they're they're not getting that. So, oh, okay. All so right. they only so. got that money up to a certain point, I believe, and then they sold like they sold the the rights into like. In, okay, but they didn't sell it for a bag of nickels. They, they sold, sold it, it for... no, a bag of dimes. Oh, you know, they saw more... they saw yeah. them coming. Oh, okay, fair enough. So just like I don't there's know. an insane amount of things that that came out of those uh, turtles. Yeah, I might, like, I'm like, sure they like, made a lot of money. Bizarre. Like, I'd be happy with just the video game money. If I just had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game money, I think like I'd have a pool and I'd be fine. <laughs> and it'd be all right. I'd be all great. We'd all be, we'd yeah, all yeah. be fine. Yeah. I was saying this, by the way, to Pia uh, the other night. We were watching a TV show where it's like some angsty TV show that took place. Uh, oh yeah, it was like a, it took place I think in Los Angeles, and there's these angsty characters. Wait, a the, TV show based in Los Angeles? I I don't believe that could happen. I, yeah, it's, it's it is bizarre. But they had a pool, and to me okay. it was like a nice, full, beautiful pool. Yeah, and and to me it was just like, oh, you got a pool, you're, you're fine. You're <laughs> I think fine. they're I think they're pretty common. They're like way more common in Los Angeles than than yeah. anywhere else like it's not really a sign of like affluence it's more a sign oh. of like we bought a house and it has a pool in the backyard and oh my god okay. now we have to pay take care of this thing this is a common thing for me yes that, that, that when i see pools in la and things i'm like stop it you're fine but this actually <laughs> now that i'm thinking about it it was actually for all mankind i was watching that so it was astronauts oh, okay and it was like stressed out astronauts yeah and i'm like yeah, okay yeah you're stressed out because you've been to the moon and you, you're trying to deal with that <laughs> yeah, i get yeah. it yeah you know, life's weird when you've been to the moon um but uh, you got a pool 
just go for a swim. You feel better. You're just going to feel better. Why are you drinking like crazy and going to the bar and hitting on young girls? You got a pool. If nothing else, invite them to your pool. There, you dumb dumb. You know, you'd probably get them to come to the pool if you said, I got a pool. Sure. Dumb dumb. You shouldn't be doing that. But, but, yeah. Yeah. I think a pool solves a lot more problems than, uh, than people on uh, TV uh, give it credit for. Mm hmm. It also gives you like a whole other area you have to vacuum. Well, you don't have to do it. Well, you know, I, 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 I assume, I, yeah, I guess if you're affluent enough, you, you don't have to. We did. We had to vacuum our own pool. Yeah, we did too. Like, I mean, I only had a pool for like six months when I was a kid. Yeah. And of course, being the oldest, you know, lad, <laughs> it fell to me to shoo away the birds and to vacuum up the business and scoop up the leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was fine. But hey, you get a pool; it's fine. You get to jump in there and pretend you're. No, no, no. Man. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's it's bad or anything. I would love to have a pool. I'm just saying, you know, I don't think all your problems go out the the window though, just because you have a pool in the backyard. Yeah, I yeah. had some disagreements with my father, but here's the biggest one I had, which was that we had a big backyard, yeah. big backyard. Yeah. When we were like in the Delta. Yeah. And uh, I asked him once, like, how much would it cost to put a pool in, like? A, same kind of pool we had back when we lived in Burlington, Ontario. Yeah. And he went, oh, man, it'd be about uh, probably about $10,000. Yeah. Oh, boy. So whenever something happened where it was theoretically possible to have had $10,000, <laughs> I, I just would like turn to him and go, huh? Now's the, nah, we don't want that. Why don't you want that? I think it was slightly more than that. I seem to remember when my mom and dad did it. It was okay. when I was in grade eight, it was more than $10,000. Okay. Because it's digging. Okay. First of all. I mean, all in, right? Like you've, you've yeah. there's, there's things you got to do. Like we had to, you know, you have to like dig a hole. You have to get the hole dug, which is, you know, like where your parents were. That would have been tricky because they would have had to take the fence line down between two properties in order to get a backhoe into their backyard. Mm. Like we were lucky. Like one of the one of the motivators for us getting the pool at that time was they were starting to develop behind us, and so my dad was like, "Well, we better, you know, do this now because if we don't, there's no way that." it'll be really hard to get the, the backhoe in where, but at the time there was no one behind us. So we could just, they could just bring in the, the backhoe through the back way and just take down, you know, a couple of fence panels and, and, and dig out the backyard. But then, you know, so you, you dig out the backyard. So you're paying for all that stuff. Then you, then you need to have like concrete poured for your, for your deck, you know, so you turn your backyard into this big giant concrete patio. And then you had to build a shed, you had to build a shed for the, where all the, the heater goes and the, and the, and the, um, the filtration system, you know, it's mm -hmm. constantly like the pump and, and whatnot. And so then we had to like dig the gas lines down from the street up to the, into the back backyard. And then you had to run, we had to run all the electrics as well. And so, I don't know. I'm, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's more than just, I mean, part of, I mean, part, I mean, you know, part of the work was the fact that my, my dad wanted to like, you know, do as much as possible that he could do himself so that, you know, it was cheaper. So, that, which I think is smart if you can do it. Like he had to like, so he did all the, he ran all the gas lines up to the, from the road to the, to the, to the pool shed. And then he had to stop there. And then a professional gas fitter had to come in and do the final hookup. And that way it was legal. Okay. Yeah. But still he did, we didn't, we didn't have to pay anyone to, to, um, you know, dig the, I think I talked about digging the, the that trench, which I've never, you know, I was a teenager doing that. And it, it felt like I was in the Gulag Archipelago, you yeah. know, it was just like the most horrible laborious work I've ever done in my life. Like I had no work muscles then, you know, so you're just, it's just like, ugh, it's just like every, every like tiny shovel full of, of dirt was, was like just a, 
you know, oh, I think he, I think my dad ended up doing most of the digging, to be honest with you. Like, I, we worked on it, but, you know, we just did, like, the most feeble job, and you had to come in and, like, do it, like, nicely. So it was all properly sloped and everything. Okay. But, yeah, so, I, I don't know, I just, and then, you know, and then after that, there's still, you know, you still have this, you know, thing in your backyard that now you've built a pool, and now it's going to start to um, break down. <laughs> So, ah. so now you just you know you're just wait, you're just fighting time you know as you wait for whatever problems are going to creep up in you know and and the various mechanical or the pool itself and then you're paying for heating and and all that stuff. We didn't we didn't swim in the winter, but even in the summer you still we still had the heater on a little bit just because it, it's not California. Imagine in California it would be cheaper that way because you wouldn't have to heat it as much because mm. it's so warm there. Just having a solar blanket on would would keep it pretty warm, I imagine. But up here, it's, you know, even though it's pretty warm, we're not that warm. And, uh, yeah. Still, I would never, even, even if I had to work like a, like a, like a, like a, uh, prisoner in the, in Siberia building a hydroelectric station, I still felt, I still, I always felt it was worth it to have a, have a pool. I would never, I'd never go back from that. And I would love to have one now, but, uh. Cost chickens, money. The chickens, chickens won't lay. Well, that's it. We don't have room. It's either have a pool or have chickens, and that's or and that's teach it. your chickens to swim. I don't know if our yard is big enough. I guess it is big enough for a pool, but it'd be pretty limited because of the size of like we didn't have like we didn't have like a big shop like I have in the backyard. You know, here's 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 the other thing. By the way, I would suggest like um, I hope that your chickens live long, happy, happy lives. But at some point, they will leave this earth and go to. The chicken beyond yes. that they, they go to. The great chicken ranch in the sky. The great chicken ranch in the sky. And again, this will be many years from now. Sure. Less than yeah, one or two. Uh, one or two years from now, but yeah. You know, they will uh, go to college probably for, you know, take a, take a gap <laughs> oh, year. Oh, the expenses of college. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's very impressive. Uh, but I'm saying like <laughs> when you decide then when your heart is healed enough yeah. to adopt again, uh, if you are interested in this pool idea, let me suggest this. Ducks. What do you mean Ducks. Well, I mean, ducks are chickens, but they can do more. They can um, they can swim. Will they so dig a Will they dig on. a pool for me? Yeah, dig a, like that's your own business is digging the pool. Oh, but okay. I'm saying like like a chicken would fall in the pool and die. Uh-huh. That's the end of the chicken. Yeah. But a duck. Yeah. Would dig to it like a duck to water. <laughs> I wouldn't want ducks swimming in a, swimming in water. I was going to swim in blah. Meh. You know what? Yeah, you've swum in the ocean, and there's worse things. Uh, taking yeah. poops in there. there. Yeah, you're right though, but it's it's uh, a lot. It's a lot bigger than a pool. Like, <laughs> one out, just a real big krill dump. You know, <laughs> there's a there's a lot. It's a lot bigger than a pool though. It's a, but you're right. It is it is uh, something that something doesn't bear thinking about when you're swimming and, in a lake. And then also, here's the thing: if the if the, if the ducks like get bored or they don't like, they'll fly away. They'll be fine. But they'll come back and they'll uh, lay some nice eggs. <laughs> they'll lay eggs as well. You want like a nice egg? A duck egg's fine. Is that right? Oh yeah, have you not had a duck egg? No. Oh, they're good. Huh. Yeah, they're nice and uh, they're nice and rich. They're not, uh, you know, they're not a million miles away from. You probably would not. The yolk's a little different color. Uh, you would not. Uh, I don't know if you would notice or not. Uh, I know uh, if if there's people like um, I have a friend who is deathly allergic to chicken eggs. Like okay, deathly. Yeah. Can't touch them. It was it was funny once they did a. Uh, by funny, I mean ooh. Uh, <laughs> He did a show yeah. where uh, it was an improv show, and it was like we're going to start with something that you don't know what's going to happen, mm. and then you've got to build on that. And 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 he was like, "I'm in, whatever." <laughs> and they dropped an egg from the ceiling, and it like missed him by a foot. 
and he jumped back like a mile because he just went, <laughs> "Oh, that gets on me, I die." <laughs> So that was that was a big wake up call. Yeah. But people yeah. who are allergic to chicken eggs, yeah. for the most part, are not allergic to duck eggs. So if they want to have like a nice, like <laughs> in um, the movie uh, Birds of Prey, yeah. uh, Margot Robbie is allergic to chicken eggs. So that's a duck egg that she, sandwich that she's eating off the top. So you're saying the actress is allergic to? That's correct. Yes. Okay. I just thought, I didn't think it was a. Like- funny character quirk they didn't mention that Harley oh, Quinn Harley is allergic Quinn. to chicken I don't eggs. know what her allergies are. No, I don't know what's canon. I, uh, I, I lightly know her creator. I could find out, sure. but I'm not going to. Do that right now. No, that. no, I can wait. I'm not going to do that kind can of uh, send research a, right now. Send no. a message. No, I, li- I lightly know Paul Dini, and he's nice, and I would like to keep our relationship light and uh, effervescent. <laughs> so, hey, uh, settle an argument. <laughs> Me and my friend. Uh, is Harley Quinn allergic to eggs or what? Like, what's what's your allergies? They go, what? What are you doing? Get out of here, you. Sorry. I'd leave. Let's skulk out. I do. I guess for I guess for me, like I remember reading about um, the recording of Captain Beefheart's Chope Mass replica, and they were like renting a house in the valley. The band and the house had a pool, mm. and you're like. Well, here's this broke band who are, you know, living on macaroni and cheese, you know, re- uh, rehearsing for an album that will sell five copies, and mm-hmm. and they're living in a house with a pool. So I, I don't know. I think I think uh, maybe that's why I kind of devalue it in my mind. And you, okay. And then it also sounds like you really wanted a pool, whereas I grew up with one. So maybe that's also why I'm kind of like, eh, pools, dollar, dime a dozen. We also had neighbors that were like two houses over. It had an amazing pool. Mm. And I always felt like we were on, if you were keeping up with the Joneses, yeah, yeah. we were on par as a family there. Mm. And, uh, and it's like, well, we should get a pool in. You know, <laughs> this is the way this should be. It wasn't like, like yeah. the first the first house I was in as a kid, I think I mentioned this before, our neighbors uh, broke down. Like we had like one neighbor who had an above ground pool. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, not great, but it's a it's a pool. It's a pool. And you're you're a little kid. Yeah. What are you going to do? That's fine. Yeah. And then occasionally we'd get one of those little above ground pools, and you'd like climb over the metal rim and like ow <laughs> and fall and ah, it's so cold. Yeah. You know, in your bed. Um, but the next door neighbors to us decided they were building a pool. We're like, we're so excited. But then mom was scared of drowning, so uh, the pool was uh, like uh, three feet deep. The whole pool, big long pool, three oh. feet deep. How weird. I was like, that's, that's this bullshit. Like, if you're scared of drowning, one of two things. One, uh, learn to swim. That's not hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two, two, stay in the shallow end. That's also a thing you can do. Also, uh, or you wear, could drown in a puddle, really, so it's yeah, not... Yeah, or wear a flotation device. Yeah. 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 yeah, they would always tell us that. You know, one person drowned in a teaspoonful of water. <laughs> like, okay. That seems well, careless. Then, that was God choosing that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that sounds like a, that sounds like a yeah. curse more than a yeah. Accident. Destined to die. That yeah, was yeah. you know they were they were they were born to be a cautionary tale. <laughs> Still fine. Yeah, in our neighborhood, in our row of houses, um, us, our next door neighbor to our looking out to our street on our right, and then the neighbor beside them, we all had pools, and then the people across the street from us had a pool. So it felt like pools were were pretty common in our neighborhood. Right. And then our neighbors directly next door to us, they had an indoor pool, which was like better than ours because ours was a was just an outdoor pool. So they were very nice. They were an older couple. 
it's one of one of those uh, things because it's funny. I have a friend in the same thing. Her mom was a librarian, and she married the school janitor. And this was a case again. This woman was a teacher, and she'd married the school janitor. And think think about it now. My old friend Paul Leahy, who played guitar in No Fun, his dad was a school janitor, and his mom was a teacher. Mm. Huh, these janitors really got it going. Anyway, yeah. uh, they had a they had a built they had a, like a built-in pool with that was covered, an indoor pool. So they would let us swim in it in the winter, which was very nice. They would put up with our, our, our racket, my brothers and I. Why do you think janitors do so well? With the ladies? Yeah. Or with the gentlemen. I don't know. There's probably some Yeah, yeah. Well, but like, uh, in this instance, we're talking about, yeah. I, I think there's a certain insouciance to, to, to janitors. Okay. First of all, define that because I don't know what that is. A sort of devil-may-care attitude. I see. Very good. You know? I mean, they're doing a job that you don't really have to sweat it, you know? They're just pushing a mop around a school hallway. If you're our school janitor at, at junior high, occasionally yodeling. Oh. Do you remember Bill? Not, no, I don't. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Well, at Burnsview, our junior high school, Bill the janitor. Oh, it was a, it was a Burnsview one. No. Yeah, yeah. I really don't know. Okay. okay. Yeah, he was quite famous for, like, during the middle of class, like, school days, he would, like, yodel in the hallways. <laughs> so, just, just as a joke kind of thing. He'd just make, just do it once or twice and then carry on with his, with whatever he's doing. But the kids loved it, of course, because it, it it would interrupt the boring flow of the classroom. Just kind of give it a little, a little spice. But it's that kind of attitude. <laughs> it's that kind of attitude that's going to get you the ladies, apparently. You know. That is, a, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, I'm going to say my theory is this. Okay. <laughs> uh, the janitors, <laughs> yeah. are like ninjas. Okay. And you don't. They just blend into the background. You don't notice the janitor there. So the janitor, hmm. uh, if they're, say, interested in someone, yeah. they can be around them and the person is not noticing them. Mm. And so they get a lot of time to soak up the vibe. Mm. They get like, what's this person like? Whoa, what are they into? Well, what's going on? They get, they, they get the feel of the person. Yeah. So when they do decide to say a little something, it's the right thing to say. Yeah. And then the person's like, oh, this person I didn't notice. Uh, now I notice you. Oh, and that was an interesting thing to say. I didn't expect you to know that about me. That's, uh, oh, we have quite a bit of light. Oh, that's nice. And I'm comforted by you because you clean. And I think, like, if we get in a relationship, <laughs> what I'm going to get yeah. out of this yeah. is a uh, clean house. Sure. I think we're going to a nice, clean house. This is the kind of person who knows how to clean. Mm. <laughs> I'm probably fixed up. Do you, actually, do you actually think that these men born of the time that they lived in we're doing household chores of that sort. Like, I mean, they'll be doing the outdoor chores or the the manly chores. I don't think I don't think a guy who mopped at school came home and mopped at home. Well, should they come down with the vapors? <laughs> Who's coming uh, down with the vapors? The the, uh, the the lady. The lady of the house. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, should she come down with the vapors? Sure. They're not going to need to hire a maid. Yeah. To do the cleaning because this fellow knows his way around a mop. Mm. You know, and and I mean, he knows his way around a mop on a large scale. Like, this guy mops a school. Yeah. Like, the idea of, like, you got to mop the kitchen floor. Oh, okay. Big deal. Yeah. The kitchen floor? That's an insult almost. <laughs> to mop the kitchen floor. Sure, so easy. Sure. Done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're done. The end. Fine. Yeah, he gets out his, he gets out his industrial mop the size the size of the kitchen floor and just does one, <laughs> one stroke. Done. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. One stroke and it's done. Well. Exactly. You know, as much as I enjoy both of our, you know, very lighthearted and imaginative theories. Take it somewhere dark. I think it. it's not that they're taking it dark. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking in a more prosaic way that probably the teacher's husband was unemployed 
for a while, or maybe his job wasn't that great. And then the teacher had an in to the janitor jobs because she would know when there op- there's an opening. Uh-huh. And so she's like, hey, Bill, uh, there's, they're looking for a janitor at my school. You should apply for that job. Okay. And he's like, he's like, that's a good idea. He d- applies for it. He's got her as a reference. They're like, cool. This is great. He got a job. So it might just be you know, more backwards engineering than it is forwards engineering that they meet at the school, janitor, teacher. But he's other thing then becomes a janitor. Just like I knew a teacher and her husband was a bus driver, school bus driver. And, it, you know, and he fell into that job because his wife was a teacher. So, so that's, that's, I'm just, you know, going boring. All right. No, that all makes good sense. Okay. And then also... I think we've the, solved uh, world peace. And in, Let's and brush the, the dust movie, off our hands. Yeah. And in the movie, either the janitor is the murderer yeah. or one of the first people murdered. Or the eyewitness, as in Could, the movie yeah, Eyewitness. Then, then gets murdered. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause, he doesn't uh, get murdered. <laughs> Well, he, he's the one who'll go like, you don't believe me. No one believes me. <laughs> okay. And then like he would get, oh, he'd die after that. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of that movie with William Hurt and Sigourney Weaver called Eyewitness, where he's a janitor who witnesses the oh, murder. Oh, very good. Okay. And there's a scene um, in it in a stables in New York City. And I was oh. like, New York City has stables? But there's a scene where she, Sigourney Weaver, is riding in Central Park on a horse. And, uh, oh, and, and oh, w- would that appeal? To to you to ride Central Park on a horse? Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. I don't think th- I don't think they're there anymore though. I I was re- I was reading about it uh, a time later after I when I was I saw it when I was a teenager and then I was thinking about it one day when I there was no Google when I was a kid so then I was like oh I should Google that so then I was like riding horses in Central Park but I guess in the past there were stables for the the you know the hoity toits there but and I think there are still stables in New York City of course but those would be for police horses just as ah. just as there are stables at Stanley Park for the police horses ah okay but All not right. but not for your run of the mill average joe but you could okay. uh, up to a certain time and I'm hoping it still exists you could ride horses in Hyde Park in London as well they had stables there and that gotcha. would, that would have been fun as well okay all right I was just looking how much, uh, like, there, of course, you can't just rent a horse and ride around. Uh, <laughs> but I was looking at uh, horse and carriage rides mm. and how much they cost. Uh, if you just walked up and tried to get a horse and carriage ride for yeah. 20 minutes, how much do you think you'd pay for that? For Central, Central Park? Park? Yeah. First of all, you can't do it now because of coronavirus. Sure, sure. When it comes, when it comes back, uh, how much would that cost you? Uh, I'm going to guess about $150. Oh, you know what? You would be overpaying. It is... Oh. Uh, $57. Oh, okay. Well, then that sounds cheap to me now that I've said 150 <laughs> Yeah, you got to add a little tip on there. That's but, reason- uh, Yeah. Does, you yeah. know what? I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Y- you got two or more horses. Probably just two horses, though. Or maybe just one. You got a horse pulling you around a park in a nice, in a nice cart. And hopefully, hopefully the driver doesn't say very much. But hopefully he says something. Mm. I think there, there's a happy medium between... Overly, to, overly talking person and doing that, and somebody doesn't say a word. And he's like, like a guy who would like uh, turn to you and uh, and go like, "Hey, you want to know how you're gonna die?" <laughs> that's too much. Yeah, that's not a happy medium. That's, that's too much. No, too much information. That's a yeah, yeah. Medium who's telling yeah. you too much about your future. <laughs> that's right. yeah. that's, he might be happy, but I don't want. I don't want his. Uh, his uh, so no, I want. I want them to say something like, "It's a uh, nice day." You know, maybe answer some questions about the horse, because, you know, Lisa would have some questions. Where are you nice folks from? Yeah. That's right. That kind of stuff. And then once that's all settled, once we, we agree that we all, that we like each other, then he just turns. Because there's people. He turns, he turns his, 
you know, attention to, to driving the horse. And then Lisa and I can get it on in the back of the carriage. Yeah, nice. While he farts and blames it on the horses. <laughs> that, that is natural. And all, yeah. all gentlemen riders do that. That is fine. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's called crop dusting. <laughs> For a reason. It's not. It's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, crop dusting, you have to walk. Yeah, you yeah. have to walk while you do. Yeah, you can't just sit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll bless him. He was talking about the uh, horse. He's, if he's blaming it on the horse, the horse is, is crop dust, dusting, though. It is walking. That is true. The horse would be crop yeah, yeah. dusting. That's true. I'm giving you an out on this. You're welcome. Yeah, now that does make sense. You're just like, it's the horse. It's a, it's actually healthy. It means he's a very healthy uh, yeah, yeah. horse that's got his act together. He's full of beans, as they say. Yeah. Oh, boy. Feeding a horse beans. That would just be, <laughs> that'd just be just, wrong. Just, a, just an expression. Is it? Yeah. All right, then. I'm all, I'm all for that. Um, all for idioms. We, uh, we did a little indulgence uh, today, not a religious kind. but mm-hmm. um, you, pay, we, you paid for some sins? That's good. Yeah, it was, it's, we're doing reverse Lent, so we're getting <laughs> more stuff. No, uh, I, I was able to get a deal on a um, uh, PlayStation uh, 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 VR uh, setup. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. so, you got, so beat, you got Beat Saber. So we got Beat Saber, yeah. Good, we gotta, good. We're still uh, loading up the controllers. They got to energize. Uh, uh, but, but, but what we did was we put on the headset and did a little trip to Hawaii. Okay. And to Paris and then to New York, and it's just this feeling of uh, oh, crowds. Oh, it's so nice to be in crowds mm. and just like oh, it's oh that person's right up to me. Oh yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, the Hawaii one's especially nice because we know Hawaii so well. Yeah. So it's like we're just standing on all these beaches that we know really, really well, and it's like oh man. And then you go to Paris, and you're like oh yeah, here we go. And <laughs> it was interesting because. Um, uh, we got to go into Notre Dame there. Okay, uh, and it's like, oh no, this that roof is gone now. Like it's from the past. So I was like, oh yeah, this is the only way you can see this now. Is this virtual? Oh boy, this is cool. Hmm. And then there was also uh, you go into the Louvre and yep. see the Mona yep. Lisa behind its bulletproof glass. Yeah, yeah. A tiny it. postage stamp sized picture. Yeah, oh, it was all uh, it's all very very fun. So so far, so far, so good with 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 that. Nice. Uh, I'm all for it so far, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll try out uh, that Beat Saber uh, later on uh, later on tonight. Cool. And we've uh, yeah. we've also got an exercise bike now in the uh, in the basement, so we're oh. uh, doing that. And uh, it's uh, the perfect uh, length of time to do it for is an episode of Parks and Rec. Mm. So it's like mm. watch that. Yeah. Done. Yeah. And uh, we're we're gonna... yeah. Twenty minutes is perfectly that's a perfect amount of time there just give her have a good laugh and then uh, <laughs> so you've joined that you've been influenced by all those peloton commercials on oh YouTube. so so yeah <laughs> except for not having anyone talking i mean jesus that sounds awful <laughs> oh we got dave out there hey dave you're falling behind yeah oh. do they really do that well, they were they refer to you somehow. Do they? And, and then you're like, you get to see oh. how you're ranking with like other people. It's like I don't need that. No, I don't need that. Either. No, I just want to be no. on my lonesome, just uh, just watching a little show and maybe some recipe videos or something mm. like that. Or, yeah, you know, I've got YouTube. It's it's wonderful. All oh, things on YouTube. <laughs> I guess it depends. Cartoons. It depends how you how you are as a person. I guess like. I guess people who are competitive or need that kind of competitive feeling to, in order sure. to like make make exercising feel worthwhile, then they would really appreciate that. Whereas to me, that's completely, you know, besides the point. Since for, you, since for me, it's ever, all about vanity. That's all that drives me. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Uh, had like any exercise classes with people uh, shouting stuff at you? Oh God, no. Up? Oh no, no, okay. I can't do that. No. 
no, no, it has to be completely private. Nothing. I mean, I've, I mean, I've had like, I've had, um, I don't know what you would call them, like fitness people, whatever they are, like trainers. I've had trainers um, help me develop a routine to follow. Oh, okay. You know, so I would ha- maybe consulted, and I had one lady who I, I guess I did about six, six or eight sessions with her after I hurt my back really badly the first time. Okay. And and she helped me develop a a program that would be, you know, grueling but not taxing on my back. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you ever had to go through physio or anything like that for any reason. Oh yeah, many times. Yeah. Many many times, mostly for tennis elbow. Oh, okay. Because I got tennis elbow when I was working on the fishing boat. Because basically, tennis elbow. This is called that for what for no reason at all, but it just refers to like repetitive stress injuries. Basically, what it right. is. And my the motion I was doing, which was to slice open the fish, grab the guts in one hand, cut around whatever held them in place inside the fish, and then chucking them overboard. And it was kind of an awkward throw, kind of sideways, like, if you can imagine, like, well, basically, imagine someone's pretending to do that masturbation, like, wanking sign or whatever. I was basically doing that over and over again all day as I was making wanking gestures at the skipper. No, I was throwing the fish, (laughs) throwing the fish overboard. And so doing that, all day long, you know, we, you know, we worked long hours, so I was doing that a lot during the day. Not all day long, but a lot. And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times every day. Um, by the time I finished my three-month stint, my, my arm was, was shot. And so my left arm has always been bad. It's still very bad. Like, if I wake up in the morning, if I've had a long sleep, like if I sleep on the weekend and I sleep more than, more than my usual five hours, which is, you know, four to five hours is what I get during the week, um... But if I sleep longer than that, I can't actually like um, f- make my arm like move, like you know, bend the elbow. <laughs> like it won't move; oh, it's frozen. Okay. So I have to like carefully like hold, press down on my bicep, and then lift my my arm up, my lower, my forearm up. It's it's very painful. So uh, that's that's from that, and from the years of working in warehouses, that doesn't help either. And then my other arm, this is you'll find this kind of funny. I actually hurt that arm filming that best man video oh no for you yes it's because there's a scene in it where i i run around a corner and i get bumped by someone and i i crash into a tree and then i'm holding on to this or a telephone pole and i'm holding on to it with my arms outstretched and my legs outstretched and then i slide down to the ground and the first time it was fine and everyone's like oh that was great can we do that again and i'm just like oh okay so i did it again but i guess that was just too much for my arms to be to be holding like straight out and then pinching against the telephone pole to hold me against it, and sliding down, my arm went ouch. And so that uh, that arm is, but that arm isn't that bad. Like it's, it's fine, really. It is just if I overuse it, I can it, it'll get get a bit of a twinge to it. Okay. But um, I do do like stretching exercises for my for my arms as well. But yes. Well, thank you, and thank you for doing something that was so funny and uh, injuring yourself. All the <laughs> That's right. I felt like a real Buster Keaton. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that that wasn't intentional, of course. But then the rest of the shoot, I had the sore arm, so I was doing all these other like physical activities, and I was like, "Gee, this hurts." <laughs> I thought it'd be really funny to do push-ups with a table and chair on my back, but now it's uh... anyway. Yeah, so um, it's uh, it's all good. But yeah, and then my back as well. I threw I threw my back out at some point. I think well, I most I I hurt myself doing uh, as a farrier. That's where I really having to bend over so much, and then. Um, and then just being alive, you know, these things happen. It's a slow, it's a slow breakdown to death. You know, isn't it? Uh, isn't it nice knowing that uh, Buster Keaton lived uh, into his seventies? Uh, 
<laughs> yes, and was still doing pretty good stunts. Like even like in I think it's a mad 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 world. He does his famous putting both legs up onto a table and then falling to the ground. <laughs> and so he was he was uh, and he was still doing he was doing some pretty good stunts in um, uh, the funny thing happened on the way to the forum. But I think he was quite sick with cancer by that point and and so he couldn't yeah. really he couldn't do like as much as he could have in the past but yeah which, just, which he didn't which he didn't know about is that right yeah i didn't or maybe i knew that and forgot about it since i've read yeah yeah he thought it. yeah he wasn't basically told that he had cancer mm. he thought he thought he had bronchitis oh okay and so he was just trying to work through this bronchitis sure. and no one told him that yeah yeah i was like oh, yeah that's a, a Life, great lifelong smoker yeah but course. still it's good to get the heads up that you've got. An <laughs> yeah, like it'd be good to be able to plan for the for the inevitable yeah. conclusion to that. Yes, yes. But it is it is cool. Like you would think, like all the stunts and everything that he did. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time he got to be like seventy, oh my gosh, my bu-, like the thing that would get him would be like smoking. Like, yeah, yeah. Like a like, yeah. a, like a regular person. You know, <laughs> you know who yeah. was uh, when was he born? He was born in like. Uh, you know, in the old, oh, in born, 1895. Yeah, I was going to say, he was born before the, the 20th century. Again, I know that. That's yeah. what's going to get you is like smoking. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, you live past the, the life expectancy of your time. <laughs> you know, that's fine. But, uh, you know, still sad, but what, what are you going to do? Uh, he'd be gone by now anyway. Look, let's be honest about it. He wouldn't be around now. It would be creepy if he was. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, so all things must pass. That's a, that's a... But someone who, like, got that many, you know, injuries and yet was like, eh, still doing stunts, like, in the in the later days. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just, you know, a big mess. It's like, uh, it, it's it's very different than when you see uh, sports guys. Yeah. You know, in their later days, and you're like, oh... There, that's, ooh, that's, that's, mm, Well, a lot know. of that is concussion rather than, yeah. rather than broken bones. And but things. you would think someone like a Buster Keaton would have a couple of concussions as well with the things that he did. Or even I like a, don't think like, he ever did get a concussion. Oh, really? Okay. I, you know, I think, I mean, he knew how to take a fall, obviously. So things that, things that he injured himself were from unexpected, um, you know, things that were done on the spur of the moment that were, that were, weren't planned properly. Mm-hmm. Like, which I think is like a, you know, obviously like not not great. Like the, he did like crack his spine. He got he fractured his spine falling on a railroad track. But what happened was he, in the gag, he was running along the top of the train and he grabbed the chain of a of a watering, you know, they had those things that put water into the steam steam locomotives, and so he grabbed onto the chain that would release the water. And I thought that would be funny if like the water came out and you know, so he pulled down and he didn't expect that, like the amount of the force of the water that came out of it. And it, he just, you know, was let go of the, it was forced to let go of the chain and thrown down onto the tracks, the railroad tracks. And he, he broke, he broke his neck, but he didn't, he just thought he had a headache and, you know, they just kind of had an early day and he was back to work the next day. It wasn't until he was much older that the doctor saw in an x-ray that he had, he had fractured his neck and had healed of course by that time. Wow. And then he was doing a short called the electric house and it were in his, the character in the house, or the character in the movie has made his house with all this electrical parts. And there's an escalator in the house. And I guess he was doing a, a gag and his foot got caught in the escalator and he broke his ankle. So those are things where, you know, it's not from the falls and stuff like that. It's just from these, well, the one was from falling, but it's more from the unexpected, you know, um, mishaps. I noticed watching, we were watching Jackie Chan's police story a little while ago for the umpteenth time. And um, there's at the end, you, you know, they show, they show the, the kind of back, back, Behind yeah. this, behind the scenes, 
uh, stuff like that stunts and whatnot or things where things go wrong or just them practicing. And there's a scene where he's jumping off of a ledge onto the escalator and they do it so that he, they practice it. So he jumps off the ledge and lands and his team catch him as he comes down and, and place him on the escalator. So they want to see like how he can land and stuff. So you can see they're planning it and then he does it for real, you know, but whereas when he did the, when he did the slide down the long pole with all the lights and then crashed through the, into the glass house at the bottom that was a one-shot deal there was no planning that he just leapt onto the the pole and slid down and it was just film and film it and, <laughs> and let's see what happens and of course that's why there's multiple cameras so to make sure yeah. that they get it and then of course in the movie they show you every possible angle they filmed hey i really worked on this i really you know, took some big risk on the stunt so you guys are gonna have to watch it seven times all right yeah, now there, that was the first person that popped in my head when we were just talking there. I was like, yeah. okay, Buster Keaton by the end was still able to do the stunts and do all this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think about like a Jackie Chan. Mm. And you think from what he went through, yeah. he shouldn't be able to get out of bed. <laughs> like, that guy must have had a couple of concussions. I like, would think so. There's, yeah, there's some times where he's, uh, you know, what, but I love that. Once again, I just love that, like, he'll be like laying down, you know, clearly you know, maybe out of it or whatever. And then his team are like fanning him with shirts and then like rubbing his arm, like just chafing yeah. his arm. Is it, you know, like th that's their first aid is just like the most basic, you know, my grandmother level first aid. Yeah. He like hurts his foot badly and he's just rubbing it really. Like, yeah. 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 He's like, right. well, does that help? I guess, maybe. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. It's Possibly. A, if, yeah. Um, but like uh, of those yeah. guys, like if, you know, like, uh, you know, like even like a Michelle Yeoh, mm. you know, you see her on, you know, she's she's still working in Star Trek. Yeah. Have you seen Police stuff. Stories 3? I think I did. Where yeah, she, that's what I was going to say. Ride, yeah. yeah, she rides the, like she falls off the back of this, or whatever it is, or like a truck or a bus or something. And she falls like onto the hood of the car into the wind, into the windscreen. Yeah. And it's her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. It's the same with the, the other, the there's another actress, Maggie Maggie Chung, I think her name is, who plays his um, girlfriend in, in all three films. And she's always doing these crazy stunts in them. And you're like, but you, you're you acting in like, like she acts in like, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the movie now, but she's like in these like legitimate, like like classic Hong Kong dramas. Oh, okay. You know, where people are just like, oh, they're acting in that movie so great. And what, you know, and you know, these aren't comedies. These aren't like stunt movies. These are just like straight out, like, you know, heartrending dramas and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's quite famous for those. And then you see her in Police Story, and she's just goofing it up, and she's like falling into glass and getting thrown. Yeah. And there's a scene where Jackie, she's going to ride off on her scooter, and Jackie Chan grabs her backpack and pulls her off the scooter, so she just falls right down onto the ground on her tailbone, and the the bike takes off. And you're like, goodness, my God, what the people would do for a paycheck in Hong Kong? Yeah, and uh, just looking here, uh, the reason she didn't get it, uh, she studied at the Royal Academy of Dance, uh, but and the reason she didn't become a professional ballet dancer. Well, because she had a uh, a spinal injury. Is this Maggie? Or sorry, um, Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then she won the Miss Malaysia Beauty Pageant, and that <laughs> got her some attention. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, she did all these martial arts films where she did all her own stunts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and now, yeah, now she's in Crazy Rich Asians. She's doing all that. But like, you think like you know people. Well, she like, was in uh, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So you know she's done. Oh, she's yeah. been. She's done lots of legitimate. Uh, Oh, absolutely. Um, but what, I, what I'm saying is, like, uh, you would think these folks, like athletes, you know, would would be like, oh, like be a Joe Namath, mm. would be like, oh, you know, you can tell he's like having a hard time, and like in later years, it's not pretty, yeah, or yeah. you know. Uh, but 
I'm, I'm now trying yeah. to think of. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm still going to put it down a lot of it to concussion, to concussion, and the fact that they uh, they played through through pain. You know, like even if they were even if they were like sore, and so they were just given like drugs and sent out there anyway. Yeah. You know, and I feel like like Jackie Chan. I mean, there were times when productions were shut down so he could recover. You know, and that's that's why when he came to Hollywood, it became much more difficult for him to do his own as much of the stunts as he wanted to because of you know issues with insurance and shutting down the, pr- the production and stuff like that. But when he was producing the films himself in Hong Kong, you know, he didn't mind taking a couple of days off if he needed it. So I think there's just less there's you know in that situation there's less pressure to to you know do the and you know it's just come on football players and hockey players and stuff like that they're, the amount of physical abuse you're taking is a lot is a, is yeah. different different in kind than what you're what you're I, taking I, doing a yeah I mean again I, Jackie Chan shows at the end like the injuries that yeah, he had yeah. and, and then you go like okay if you were just to like line up all those injuries that we've seen yeah, yeah. just that we've seen you're like how is this not a broken bag of bones <laughs> by the end of it well once again and the rest of them like a jet you don't know what happened sure. to Jet Li mm-hmm. something must have just kept going, you know. But, yeah. but all those guys were had a lot of gymnastic training, so they really knew how to fall. Mm-hmm. And that's something really important. I remember listening to... I think that is the case. Yeah, that's yeah. how it goes. I remember listening to Wally Buono. He used to be the coach of the BC Lions, the football team here in uh, Vancouver. And um, he was talking... They were asking him about, like, concussion and injuries and stuff like that. And he, he said, the problem is nowadays, like, kids don't grow up playing the way we did. You know, like, when we were kids, we tumbled and we fell and we climbed trees and we walked on fences and we did whatever and we we learned how to fall yeah you know and we learned how to protect ourselves when we when we fell and kids don't play that way nowadays and so when they get into sports uh, you know when they get hit when they go down they don't know how to to you know to take that impact and and you know turn it into make it you know soften that impact right and i can i can totally see that it is about knowing how to fall Mm -hmm. that's a huge thing i think like with like college bowl like college ball you know, they don't go, okay, now if you get hit, remember to roll with it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's just like, no, hit them yeah. as hard as you can. Yeah, yeah. Damage them as much as you can. It reminds me of, um, if we're talking entertainment, uh, Chevy Chase. Mm, that's right. Chevy Chase's bit was uh, he'd do these falls. And yeah. you're like, oh, how does he do the falls? He just falls. Yeah, yeah. And he takes, the, and he takes it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that works when you're young a bit <laughs> and then not at all. <laughs> as you get older that's right and yeah he, he really messed himself up and started yeah. taking painkillers for his back and he kept doing the falls mm-hmm. and it's just like ah, boy just like that's the problem it's like you don't mm-hmm. know what you're doing exactly you're really gonna get hurt and i mean if he wanted to and he you know he's and this is kind of on him in a way is i mean there's lots of opportunities to get training and stuff like that to learn all that you know, like there's a million stuntmen around you. All those guys would be totally willing to to give you some like pointers and lessons and how to how to how to fall and how to how to take the take the impact of the fall and turn it and this you know and and soften it. You know, and you know, like we learned. Like I when I was a kid, we used to jump off the roof of the house, and you learn when you came down that you 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 know bent your knees and you rolled on the grass, yeah. and that took the that took the impact of it. You know, you didn't hurt your legs, and you know, like if only we had. You know, body cams, or or Lisa. Lisa had like a, pro, a GoPro behind on the back of her helmet, so she could film the gajillion falls I took riding with her when I first started. You know, and I fell many, many times from a pretty big horse. Tippy was a quite a large horse, and that her horse I used to ride, and um, and I never hurt myself except for one fall. I took, I fell on the frozen ground at Thanksgiving, and I did hit my head that time and and knocked myself out. 
because I wasn't wearing a helmet, because like a dum dum. But um, but most of the time, all of the times that I fell, and there were many, many of them, I just got up and got back on, and I had no, not even any pain. You know, I just would come off, and I would come off, and I'd just be like, okay, let's get back up and start again. You know, and that was just from years, especially when I was a, when I was at, oh, you know, um, confession time. When I was a kid, I I really wanted to be a stuntman. Like I, that was just something I just thought was the greatest thing in the world. Who, who inspired you with that? I have no idea where I got that idea from. Did you see the movie The Stuntman? No, this is like when I was in elementary school. Okay. It's a good movie, by the way. You should watch- oh, no, I've seen The Stuntman. Of okay, course good. I've seen it, but I, I mean, it didn't influence me to want to be a stuntman. Okay, it's just an interesting thing for yeah, yeah. a very young kid. I know, I know. I have no idea. know about existing, first of all. I wonder, I wonder if we'd gone to Universal at that point. Because I did go to, we went to Disneyland when I was pretty young. And so I wonder if we went to Universal and I saw the stuntman show there and that inspired me. Uh-huh. Or if I just somehow found out about it. Or if I just liked it. You know, like I just, I mean, I, you know, I don't think I saw Charlie Chaplin until I was in grade six. So, and, and Buster Keaton, maybe a little earlier than that. But but um, I don't think that, I think it was stunt, like the idea of being a stuntman was, I don't know. Maybe I asked my dad how people fell off horses in movies or the actors did that or whatever. And he said, oh, no, those are, those are the stuntmen doing that stuff. And I was... I was like, oh, that's that sounds like a good job. So yeah, when I was a kid, I just thought that would be like a great, a great thing. I used to like love to like st- have like stage fights with my friends, you know, just pretend fighting. You know, like we're, you know, where we just throw pretend, you know, punches and we'd fly around and do all kinds of crazy falls. And you know, the more elaborate, the better. I just loved all that stuff. Yeah, you know, whenever I got any uh, training at all and anything stunty, yeah, the first thing, like I, I remember once uh, asking my friend Cat. Uh, Kathy, Kathy Hubble, yeah. who's now a stunt person and mm. uh, was and like a judo champion. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, just show me something. And, and it was great because her uh, basement was all padded floor, like thick padded floor. Okay. So like you can just go, wah! And just like <laughs> land on it. It's great. It's like, oh, this is fun regardless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she was like, and here's how you fall. And fall, do this, and you distribute your weight this way and slap the ground and it does that. Sure. And I was like, yeah, and, and it's like, okay, this is what we're gonna learn all the way first before you learn any uh, moves. Yeah, and it's like, oh, okay, this is cool. And same with other friends of mine who are martial arts folks. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's all about the falling mm-hmm. for sure. Thing number one. But I think, yeah, I think there is a macho thing to that where they don't want to learn that. It's just like, no, show me how to punch. Punch first. I'll <laughs> I'll deal with the falling later on. You know, it's like, oh no, that's yeah, not yeah, no. Well, you think of Buster Keaton. I mean, you said born in 1895. He was born, his parents were, he was born, his parents were, were already like, they were in a show with Harry Houdini mm-hmm. in a patent medicine show. And so they already had an act. And so he was like in the act from like the time he was an infant because it was easier for them just to have him in the show than to have have to get a babysitter or have some look, look after him. And so they quickly incorporated him into the show and he just grew up being thrown around the stage and learned how to fall and learn how to, you know, how to, how to sell it and all, all the rest of it, you know. And I and I think and also he was just like naturally athletic. Like you see a movie like College where he he um does like all the kind of decathlon things in, in a row, you know, pole vaults and all this stuff. And he just learned them for the movie. He wasn't a pole vaulter, but he's just like, well I gotta learn this for the movie, so I'll figure out how to do it. It's like, okay. <laughs> like <laughs> I certainly couldn't just like go figure out how to pole vault, but that's what he did. You know, he learned how to do all these, did a, you know, how to jump hurdles quickly and, and did all that, mm-hmm. you know. 
And he was just, and he obviously took pride in that. He's kind of like Tom Cruise in that he took pride in his physical abilities, you know. So, you know, how fast he could run. And, and there's lots of scenes in the movies where he's running really fast. You know, it was the scene where he gets pulled over by the police and given a ticket for running too quickly. What do you, what do you think is the last thing you remember trying to, like a new skill that you tried to learn? Like, you're just like, I want to know how to do that. I'm going to try and figure that out. Mm. Like, currently, I'm trying to learn how to shuffle cards. And I, and I, and I guess the, the one I'm most, clearly remember is learning how to juggle like i want to know how to juggle okay. i don't know how to juggle and i just kept practicing practicing mm. until i could uh, until i could do it uh and but yeah do you remember like anything that was like a skill or something like that that you're like this i want to i want to figure this out how you do this and then do do that and if you, if you can't remember anything it's not a big deal i didn't i didn't even you mean like a physical skill or you know what i would accept a mental skill as well i think this may be a question of weak <laughs> I well, I was thinking. I mean, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, uh, yeah, I can't really think of anything like too too like physical that I've learned to do. Obviously, I had to learn how to build a website and all that stuff for this show. So that was sure, like the, sure. yeah, the yeah. last time I set was set a challenge, and I just sort of went through how you create a podcast and what you need, and how to make a website and all that stuff. Um, I'm quite tempted right now. Like, of course, I can't because there's COVID. Yeah, that's the thing. But there is a tap dance school down my street. It's like <laughs> okay. just the right distance, yeah, 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 yeah. Just the right distance for sure. me. Sure. And I, I, I took tap for about a year in uh, college uh, because it was like one of the aspects of uh, a dance class yeah. that I that was taking for theater. Sure. And so I was like, okay, I know the you know some of the stuff. Uh, I can't do it, but I know it. Um, well, that sounds interesting. You know, it seems like an interesting form of exercise, and it seems like something that they wouldn't go, uh, "Hey, buddy, you're over fifty. You can't tap." It's like, <laughs> no, you go like, no, you just tap a little slower. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Like I wouldn't uh, take up ballet at this point, but uh, yeah, that sounds interesting. A little bit of tap dancing. That'd be a weird little skill to learn. Why not? That's cool. That is cool. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I taught myself how to color in Photoshop. Sure. Um. Now I do, you do that professionally. That's right. I needed to, I needed to do it. I mean, I wanted to do that. I started doing it for the, the title cards. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of added, just figured out how to do it and just kept sort of adding to my my skill set over time. I learned how to use uh, the horrible vector stuff in Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator, because I, I wanted to do lettering in Illustrator. Why, why is that so horrible? What's the answer? Oh, it's just really, it's really counterintuitive trying to figure out how to use, like how to get the... If people, if other people have done it, they know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just kind of tricky. Like you have to, you have these little points that are created, and then you have, you have to like figure out how to like. Oh, it's so hard. You, you, you use your, you use like this little point, and how you twist it or turn it or or shorten it or lengthen it, it changes how the curve goes. Mm. You know, and so you're trying to like say you're trying to make an O, and so you like you trace around with with your and create this vague sort of O thing and then then you have to like try and shape it so that it looks like the O that you want right. it's really quite it's it's kind of uh, complicated but I used I wanted when I was doing the title cards I wanted the lettering to look professional rather than just hand drawn I wanted it to look like like it was actually done like say I, I like say I did like a Care Bears cover which is an example of one I did like so I wanted to do the Care Bears writing as in so it looked like the Care Bears writing, but with well, however I changed it, and whether it was sneaks, I get the camera Care Dragons, whatever I changed it to, I can't remember now. But and so you know I like so I would I would trace out the lettering, and then I had to figure out how to you know how to draw the letters that I didn't have 
So I'd kind of figure that out and roughly kind of sketch them out. And then I would put them into Illustrator. And then I would like, you know, illust- you know, using Illustrator, I would create these very like professional, you know, so then it just looks exactly like it looked on the cover of the comic. Mm. And I did that. I did that obsessively for <laughs> when I was doing the later ones. When I first started doing the title cards, I didn't worry about that stuff. But as, you know, as I went on and I kept like creating, it was just a case of like, you know, you're like, oh, you've mastered this. So what can I do now? Oh, I'll try and make the lettering look more real rather than just hand drawn by me, you know. And so I just kept getting more and more silly. That's probably the word for it. Interesting. But yes. Oh, that's very cool. I'm sure there's other things that I've, you know, had to learn. Yeah, I think and now that I'm thinking about it, uh, cooking, I'd say that. Yeah, cooking's kind of a good. I've leaned one. into cooking in the last like 10 years or so. Yeah. And uh, tried to learn different skills sure. in that respect. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Uh, I think it's good for your brain. You should be learning new things all the time. But yeah, yeah. just that kind of nice obsessed thing where you're like, or, you know, you just like get, like a little free time or you're doing something else. You're yeah. Like, I'm going to try to learn how to shuffle cards. Let's just keep shuffling. I, and then, you know, hopefully I'll be building up at some point to like making some vanish or doing something hard. <laughs> you want to be the next Ricky J. Oh, for sure. Well, again, you know this story. Is uh, and I'll just tell it quick. Sure. So we were watching a, a thing on Ricky J, and uh, he was uh, throwing cards into a watermelon. And uh, and uh, we're talking about my wife and I were talking about how like impossible that is to do. Mm. And so I picked up a card, and we're just getting ready for bed. And I just threw a card at her, and just uh, cut her arm. Just like threw it at her and just sliced her arm. And I was like, uh, oh, God. And she's like, what did you do? And like, I didn't know I could do that. I'm like, well, don't do it again. Like, I won't. I'm so sorry. So, yeah, I was like, oh, God. I like, threw, threw something very dangerous at her. That's funny. I thought it was just going to go like a wild throw mm-hmm. like you yeah, do. Yeah. No, no, you know, you'll, you'll, if I know anything, you'll only hit someone with, with an object that you, but when you don't mean to hit them with it. Mm-hmm. Like if I actually throw something at someone, I will inevitably miss them. But if I throw it at them and this is a joke and I, I intend to miss them, then I will hit them. And to be fair, you know, if, if she was to go, have you ever tried to do this before? I would have to like honestly say, first of all, I would try to like not get into that conversation. But I would <laughs> go like, there was probably about two months there where I was actively trying to learn how to do this. And I think it was, I think it was because of a Burt Reynolds movie where like he was an assassin and that was his thing was he'd take a business card out or some such and he just would whip the business card, and that would like kill a person. Wow! Yeah, just a, just a business card, hey? Some sort of business. Maybe maybe he had a special card. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure. I didn't get to see the movie. It was before okay. I was allowed to go see any movie that I would like to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I had it was, that problem like, too. Huh. Oh, and I tried to learn ventriloquism when I was younger as well. Me too. Yeah. The problem, you, oh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say the problem when I was a kid, and still today, this to this day, is like I it's hard. I'm I have trouble being self-motivated. Like I need like some sort of form to make me want to like do you need I, a, a deadline or do you yeah, need, I need like a deadline. I need some sort of pressure. Like, you know, like be around other uh, ventriloquists that are like uh, goading you on. Well, like when we did the podcast, like, like when we recorded the podcast, I didn't even know if I had the website done at that point, mm. you know, like I just, we recorded the podcast and I was just like, okay, now I have to like figure out a way to, where to put this. And then how you get it out there for people to hear. But because I recorded it, then the pressure was on me to do all this stuff, you know. Instead of saying to you, we should do a podcast. And then six months later, think, oh, yeah, I guess we should do a podcast. Yeah. You know, like, which is the usual way for me. So I'm much better if I have, if I have a hard... Yeah, or what deadline. we used to do was, uh, you know, we had a sketch comedy show uh, yeah. for lunch. And it was like, 
oh, well, other people are going to write sketches if I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I best be writing a sketch now. Otherwise, I won't have a sketch to do yeah. in the show. And I'm going to be the guy coming in as the waiter. <laughs> you know, no, not only that, other people are going to write sketches and they're going to be terrible. So they're going to better write something good. Well, you know, I don't want to say, you know, <laughs> listen, it's all, it's all fine. Good. Uh, but why I was bringing up I'm just, I'm joking. What's that, sir? Uh, why I brought up ventriloquism uh, and leading to two things real fast. Sure. Uh, one thing would be that uh, uh, the Muppet show is now available on Disney plus. Sure. It's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, so we were watching uh, the senior wenches episode. Okay. And we're, we're watching that one because my wife wanted to see this uh, Japanese uh, puppeteer that was like, uh, or a puppet. Uh, I don't think the person was Japanese who was doing it, but there was a Japanese story that was being told. And we remember that. And we're like, Oh yeah, let's see that. And that's the senior wenches episode. Like, mm, we'll see how this is. And from the top, he's very, very funny. Yeah. Like, you know, it comes in and he announces to the guy at the door, you know, that I'm, uh, you know, I am the entertainer. I am a ventriloquist. I am a juggler. It's like, I didn't know you were a juggler. And he just picks up these oranges and juggles and then just like tosses them on the ground and just keeps walking. And I was like, yeah, you got, hey, come back and pick those up. It's just this weird thing. But I was like, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if his act will hold up or if it'll, you know, yeah, yeah. not a base. Well, and it aged very well because huh. uh, it was rambling nonsense. Yeah. It was just <laughs> yeah, yeah. nonsense. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, partly, I think it was a language thing as well. Sure. You know, he's Spanish, so he had to, he had to, like, figure out a way to, to make something that was kind of, could play anywhere in Europe, yeah. you know, not just in Spain, but anywhere. Yeah, and, and I get, I get it, but just like you know, what's your name, Johnny? And what, oh, what are you saying? It's just like, yeah, just do the thing. It's yeah, yeah, surreal and crazy, and then opens the box and it's creepy. Yeah, and then it's all right. out the, yeah. the chicken, and the chicken is like, give me a kiss. Why are you kissing the chicken? What's that about? And then, and then he's like, all of a sudden he's spinning plates. I'm like, it's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, what is this? There's no theme to it at all. It just mm. keeps going from thing to thing. And then he's like, okay, well, let's see what he's going to do for his second act. Yeah. He goes back to the same table. And he's talking again to the same people. And, like, Johnny's still behind the table. And it's just like, what? You're just still doing this? And it was just so rambly <laughs> and nonsensical. But I'm laughing. And so is, so is Pia. We're just, like, laughing. It's just so crazy. And I was like, oh, that's so neat. And, and it really reminded me of this guy who used to um, be in the neighborhood here. And he would uh, have these puppets and he would have these puppets and he'd sit on a street corner and he'd have the puppets argue with each other. Mm. And it'd be like, yeah, she never loved you in the first place. Well, but she said she did. Yeah, you were a sucker for that. You gave her all your money. You're a goddamn fool. A goddamn fool. You take that back. No, I want to take it back. And it'd be like this really heavy argument. She yeah. never loved you and has no <laughs> concept of time. And does not respect the dead. I'm like, it would be like, what? So, so you'd be like, oh, well, I'd like to watch this show. And you go and you watch the show. And as soon as he saw he was being watched, even though he had a guitar case in front of him to busk, he would like see you watching him and he'd shut up. He'd just be like, get quieter. And it's like, mm, it's awkward. <laughs> and he felt like, oh, I've walked in on a private conversation yeah, yeah. between these two puppets. Yeah, yeah. And then just like, Okay, then you start to walk away and you hear, and that's why he was a son of a bitch. You take that back. How was he a racist? You tell me how he was a racist. And I'm like, what? And it was just so, oh, we should, he would, he just wants, has to do this. 
he has these voices in his head yeah. and he's very intelligently got himself some puppets. And now it's, it's this thing and I hope he's okay. But it's like, oh, it's just so, so surreal. So, so odd. He made some money. Like there's always money in the thing. I, I it was, it, you couldn't not watch it. It was, it was the puppets it. money. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. They would throw some coins in when he would sing a song finally. Oh, he's ready to be saying a song. But it did remind me a bit of Senior Wenches. We're just like, I feel he'd be doing this if there wasn't an audience. <laughs> that's probably how it started. I mean, that's how yeah. it always does start, though, of course. In your bedroom, trying to be a ventriloquist. And I, yeah, I, I, I could do it a little bit, but I... Bottle of beer! Bottle of beer! <laughs> bottle of beer! <laughs> I think it's... Yeah, I think there's something... I mean... This might be, I mean, it's not just because I've seen an, an Anthony Hopkins movie, but I think there's something kind of, uh, there's a certain otherness to the, to, the, to ventriloquists, you know. You're like, talking about the movie Magic. I am right? talking about the movie Magic. But the I think this in general amongst ventriloquists, world. there's a, a certain a certain kind of, there's a certain craziness or obsessive quality to it that uh, I didn't have. I didn't have that. I've I, talked to other comedians, or I'd say a comedian. I don't mostly do stand-up, but like other people who are involved as comedy performers. Yeah. And there is definitely a stage that you go through where you try ventriloquism. Yeah. You try magic. Mm -hmm. And and more, more often than not, if it's an option, uh, being an altar boy. And I think it's, it comes down (laughs) to like, you just want the stage time. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you get the stage time? Well, you get the stage time by being an altar boy and you go and you do some things and Mm -hmm. people look at you and you crave that look, people eyes on you. You crave that. And then, and then you're like, well, how can I get on stage? I don't do anything. And it's like, well, you know, then learn a skill. And like, well, magic and ventriloquism makes the most sense. Like I can afford to, you know, just talk to my hand like senior wenches. And I can afford a deck of cards and some, and some balls and a couple yeah. of cups. Yeah. I can do that. You know, I, I can't afford fancy instruments. I mean, music sounds really hard. Um, but yeah, so you uh, do that, and then later on you realize you can do stand up. It's like, well, what's oh, let's okay, do stand up. Let's 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 have to carry around. Yeah, clear all the other shit out of the way, and then there's always <laughs> this real resentment that stand ups have uh, towards musicians, like music acts and uh, ventriloquists and uh, magic acts. And I think it's because you know this was something they they all wanted to be at oh, okay. one point. Yeah. Uh, put aside so you're like oh that's cheating it's like no no you would do this if you could this is a road that's not taken for you wow this sounds like an accusation against jerry seinfeld oh possibly (laughs) i think he's fine with them i I put on a magic show when i was a kid for my parents and for neighborhood neighborhood people what were your tricks oh i don't remember all of them one i remember that was most impressive was uh disappearing milk in a newspaper like i poured milk into a newspaper and made it disappear Cool. I don't remember how I did it now. I don't remember the, the trick, but I just remember being so impressed that I was able to do it. That was the part that impressed me the most. The, I just felt I just used a book. I just did, you know, I got a book of magic and I just chose the tricks that sounded most interesting or that I had the things to do. Like I, like I didn't have a cup and balls and stuff like that because that would involve like getting cups, you know, like we didn't have plastic cups in our house and I had no way, it, you know, I was between grade four and grade six. I'm not exactly sure how old I was when I did it. But I knew it was in our house in Coquitlam, so we moved from there when I was in grade, early in grade six. So it would have to have been before that time, uh, probably probably grade four or five. And and yeah, I just had a table and I put a cloth, you know, hang in front of it so I could hide the the gimmicky parts of everything and and uh, did the show. And it actually went quite well. Like I, you know, I'm sure it was clumsy and I didn't fool anyone, but 
but it went well in the sense that all the tricks came off like nothing went wrong it's just i was probably my sleight of hand was probably terrible and my misdirection was was non-existent but uh it's pretty much watch me do this trick and also see how it works (laughs) 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 but uh, yeah it's good i mean you know i was i was happy when i did it like you know if you tell people if you tell your friends and your friends mom and dad's and your own mom and dad and your brothers that you're going to do a magic show and then they all show up to see it, then you it, you hope it'll go well. And then my friend and I, we used to make our own puppets. We would make felt puppets. And okay. So we learned we learned how to sew. His mom, his mom taught us how to sew at the sewing machine. And so we would just like trace, like basically just shape, we'd just sort of draw out like the shape of uh, like just, we mostly made pigs actually. So we would just get pink, oh. we'd get pink felt and we just draw like up arm the head, other arm, and then down, and we would cut it out, sew it together, and then we'd fold it, so we'd turn it inside out, so then the seams would be inside, and then we would just sew like a button, like a pink button on the nose, and then that would be the, and then some googly eyes, we'd just glue them on, and put ears on it and stuff, so they're just all felt, and we would make like a lot of them, and then we would just like put on little puppet shows for for kids and stuff like that in the neighborhood, behind the couch, we'd just be behind the couch with our hands up in the air, but... uh, (laughs) With such hilarious jokes as a pig uh, with a cooking pot in its mouth saying, look, I'm smoking pot. I don't even, <laughs> as a kid, I didn't even know what that meant, but I just thought it was a funny, funny joke. So, so I did it. So yeah, it was just, we had, we had, you know, hip babysitters. So yeah, it was, uh, it, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. That's so that's the kind of joke you can do for your parents though. They'll go ahead. No, no, no. That was just for the kid. That was just for neighborhood yeah, kids. Yeah. yeah I yeah. never. And then. That's the yeah, 10 PM show. The parents come to the 8 PM show. Yeah. <laughs> So then, it's a bit um, more blue material in the tent. So the mu- moment of humiliation, though, was uh, this other kid found out that I did this. He's like, oh, this is so cool. We should put on a, like a puppet show in class. I said, oh, that sounds fun. We can like write a show out and everything. And so then, like, I started writing the show out, and I wanted him to help, right? And he was like, ah, oh, it's boring. I don't want to write anything. Let's just make it up <laughs> as we go along. <laughs> and of course, when you're a kid, you're lazy. So I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. We'll just make it up as we go along. So then sure, I, sure, yeah, I just sure. like. So we had like three pages of script that I'd written. So we did that. And then we just went off. And of course, then it just got boring and fell apart immediately. And I always felt kind of bad about that. It could have been way better. And, and you know, I wish I hadn't listened to him. But, you know, when someone tells you that we, it would be just as good if we did it without doing any work, <laughs> you were, you're like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, what could be better tell, than that? Tell me more. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me, me more. more about this no work uh, situation. <laughs> That's right. Tell me more about good things that come through no work. That's one of the one of the one of those maxims that people uh, people are always telling each other. You know, good Again, things good things come to those who don't do any work. Yeah, I uh, I have uh, of course I did a lot of improv. Yeah. And so there's there's friends of mine who are like the biggest workaholics who are also in improv, like mm. just incredibly you know, worky people who are always doing stuff and making stuff and writing stuff and yeah. producing stuff. Yeah. And then there's the others who got into it that because they, you know, they, it's the least amount of work possible. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, and uh, you're like, hmm. And uh, they're the ones that uh, stick it out for very long periods of time. And you'll see them like 20 years later in the same company. And like, oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. Probably, so probably retreading the same same gags as well. Yeah. What, are they, what else are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. They'll yeah. be like, they're the first ones to tell you the world's really changed, man. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Well, it does when you stay the same. That's that's the thing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. For sure. All right. Sure. You know, if you if you kept going to grade three, 
and you never left that class, mm-hmm. you go, it's really different now, man. Because <laughs> in grade three, I can't relate to them anymore. Yeah. They used to be nice. Now they're a bunch. I don't even know. I don't even know what they're about. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Pee in their pants, barely read. <laughs> yeah. I come on to them. The police show up. Yeah, it's weird. It's, uh, it's a very different world. It's like, yep, yep, it is. It's a very, very different world. You're right. It's all about them. It's their problem. They're wrong. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the puppet show was grade six. So I remember that because we moved that, that year and I and actually I probably felt relieved that we left that that left that class and I could get out of there. Mm-hmm. Past humiliation. I just uh, I just read up on how you do the uh, milk trick and I'm like, damn it, I wish I'd known that. It's pretty simple, That's right? Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's a great trick. It's, it's a great trick. I assumed, and it's not done this way, yeah. I assumed it was done with that powder that turns uh, uh, liquids to salt to sort of gel. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's, no, not, no. it's no. not that at all. Yeah, no, it's just a no. real simple. It's like, oh, it's so simple. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Again, it still, it still amazes me that magic can exist now when yeah. Yeah. there's not a trick that you couldn't immediately afterwards go, let me see how they do that. And you look it up, ah, now I know. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's still it's still legit and people love it. So they don't look yeah. it up. I was going to say, because I don't think people want to look it up. I think people enjoy the mystery of it. And Yeah, I watched a Doug Henning episode of uh, Muppets as well. And he was doing stuff on there that you're just like, shit, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> he was a good magician. I mean, if if it wasn't for like the whole hippie element of it that I always found, even as a kid, I found off-putting. There's magic inside you. And yeah, that's, like, right. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's right. Know, Every, everything world. is magic. And you're like, oh, brother. All right, get your Get those fucking rainbow overalls out of here. Yeah, it's what it was back when it was and it was. But then, <laughs> but then he does metamorphosis and you're like, okay, even if, and I can probably figure out how he does it. Mm. That's a fucking great trick. <laughs> Holy shit, that's a great trick. Oh, yeah. man, alive. Good stuff. Yeah. That's the right. only thing that's a drag about The Muppet Show mm-hmm. is you, uh, you're, you you look at all the, uh, the guests, because you can choose any episode, yeah. and go like, uh, oh, they're gone. Oh, they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. They're gone. Oh, fuck it. Kermit's gone. Yeah. Oh, shit, they're gone. Yeah. Oh, they're gone. You're right. Oh, my gosh. It's really just... But then... There's a joyful thing where you go, but for this moment in time, yeah, you know, it was a really fun time where everyone got to uh, do their best, do their best. Senior wenches would be on one week, and then it would be like cast of Star Wars, and then it would be Blondie, and it'd be like, wow, okay, and you're, and you never knew who it was going to be. And the nice thing about that is it was real mainstream uh, audience, you know, who would maybe not have know about this, you know, ventriloquist from the '60s, mm-hmm. and would not know who the heck this you know, punk rocker is. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Muppets would welcome them and they'd all have a great time. And we watched the Madeline Kahn one last night. And oh, that'd be oh, good. It's great seeing her doing stuff that I don't remember her doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just so good. She's so, like, she's so good, but yeah, she's, she's hard to use, like utilize mm-hmm. all, in all her capacities, you know? Right. And they had a little tender scene there where like Gonzo thought that because she said something nice to Gonzo, he thought that uh, she loved him and like we're gonna get married, and um, <laughs> like okay, and then she's got to break it to him that like she's not interested that way. Yeah, and then he sings this super sad song, 
And it's like, whoa, where's this? And then she's sort of like with him with that and, and trying to like comfort him. Yeah. And he's like, I just want to finish the song. And I'm like, oh, okay. so, so it goes from this real tender thing where you're like, oh boy, and you're choking up. And she's next to him and she's trying to give comfort. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, now it's a comedy song because he won't let her mm. into this and he just wants to do his sad bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh man, you can do all these levels. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, it's a, it is a pretty great show. It was really great. Um, speaking of chickens, yeah, that's a Gonzo. Um, are we doing? Are we doing a chick talk? Well, I, this is a brief little thing. I just because I'm looking through. I'm looking at my window, and and the chickens are in their in their their house with their with their light on, with their heating light on, and um. Okay, they didn't just turn the light on. You're like, hey, <laughs> it's it. But I can yeah. see, I can see that I can see her like she's just standing in the doorway, just you know, drinking from the watering thing, and uh, it's like I'm watching uh, chicken TV. Because it's just this lit up square in the distance through the window. So it's like, or looking through the neighbors, it's like rear window. I'm Jimmy Stewart. Whoa, oh, it looks like a murder is going on over there. Uh, uh, Grace. I can't remember oh, that. That'd be, that'd be great. Like a murder. Thing is she Lisa? Chicken. She's Lisa in that movie, right? Well, could be. I'm not sure. I really, I really don't know. I'm so sorry. Oh, now we, I'm thinking. Oh, you like, will be. You're looking, uh, you're looking over at the chickens and then you like aim your uh, binoculars over and there's like a, uh, fox that's doing stuff <laughs> in his apartment, and then like you go back to the chickens, and then you go back to the fox, and the fox is gone. Where did the fox go? Right. Oh, where did he? Where did he? Where did he go? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, then, and then you're and then you're back, and like one of the chickens is missing. Mm-hmm. You're like, hey, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you're asking for the characters' names in Rear Window? Are you asking who Grace Kelly played? I was just curious if you remembered. Uh, Lisa, Lisa Fremont. Lisa, there you go. Okay, so oh, wait, 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 wait. So, um, is he Scotty? Who? Jim Stewart? Yeah. He's uh, L.B. Jeffries. Oh, L.B. Jeffries, that's right. Shoot. Yeah. And there's uh, uh, Thelma Ritter is Stella. Yeah. And uh, Raymond Burr plays Lars Thorwald. <laughs> yeah, such a weird name. Uh, that's got, one of the, that's like got a great opening to that film, right? Because it, it shows like, it pans along and it shows like all the, the photographs. And you realize, oh, this guy's a photographer. Yeah. And then it show, then you see the shot of the the wheel coming off the race car right towards the camera, and then it shows him in his wheelchair with a broken leg, and you realize, ah, it's so good, so smart, such a good way to introduce. And so no one ever says, "How'd you break your leg?" You know how he broke his leg. Yeah, that is a that is a damn good movie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's got a, it's got the scene in it that I hate in all movies. As in, it makes me so anxious, <laughs> okay. which is. Someone's in someone else's apartment. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then someone's coming home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just makes me so anxious. Yeah, that's really well done in Manhattan Murder Mystery as well, the Woody Allen yeah. movie with Diane Keaton sneaking into the apartment, and of course Woody Allen's you know playing the playing the anxious type. So so it does that so well. Um, yeah. It uh, really a- it's, adds it's to the. Not a stretch. <laughs> it's not. A stretch. A, it's not a... Apparently, it's not really his personality though. It's funny that he's. Yeah. He's... No, he knows. Uh, the, well. You know, he lifted he lifted a lot of that from Bob Newhart, but good Bob for Hope, him. Bob Hope, yeah. Bob Hope, sorry, yeah. Yeah, not Bob Newhart. Bob yeah. Newhart came later. They're contemporaries Bob more than down, uh, mind uh, <laughs> type. Yeah, they would have been Bob. they would have been comedy contemporaries, really. Well, no, Bob Newhart started in the '60s, right? The that that was his. Yep. Uh, so did Woody Allen started to stand up in the '60s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're you're right. When was the show of shows? When did Woody Allen work on that? Well, he didn't work on the, your show of shows. He worked on on a, a a show that came after that. Okay. That had a lot of the same writers um, for Sid Caesar, but I don't think he. I think he worked on like some specials that Sid Caesar did after your show of shows. Okay. 
But um, yeah, but th- that's like late 50s, early 60s. So he did that for a while. Then, and then I think he like mentioned in passing to his manager that he, he was thinking about stand-up. And then from then on, he was like constantly pressured to do stand-up. And then he just found himself kind of being doing it. <laughs> so, so yeah. Yeah, no, for some, yeah, some reason I thought he worked on that. But no, yeah, I, I'm not sure. And I'm not going to look it up right now because, you no, know, that, it's just too hard. That's fine. No, I was, it's just sort of interesting because, you know, I've been reading that book apropos of nothing. And it's just curious. He, ta- he says in there like, it just says in there like, he says, I look like a bookish person, but actually, I actually don't like to read very much. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason that I, I learned a lot of these things is because the girls I'm attracted to like those sort of things. He said, I was really attracted to like kind of intellectual glasses wearing type of, of women. And so I had to kind of speak their lingo. And so I would learn about this stuff in order to like have, he says, but really like, he says, when I was a kid, I was like a really good ba- uh, baseball player. And I really wanted, that's what I wanted to do is want, I wanted to be a baseball player. And then when he was a teenager, he discovered he had this facility for writing jokes and he started sending jokes to local columnists and they would include them in, in their columns. And then they started putting his name in attached to the jokes. And that's what brought him to the attention of people. And so like, Oh, this guy, he's a funny guy, he writes jokes for the paper. So we'll, and it's kind of slowly that way kind of became what well, was started off as this like, you know, this easy thing that he did became like the job that he did and became like the life that he lived. And there you go. And, so, and with a, with a greater, uh, you know, a job, uh, uh length than a baseball player. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's right. Longer thing, career. Like, yeah. yeah. Especially like then. Can, yeah. Too. Apparently there's two things you can do if you want like a nice long career is one, you can write comedy or two, you can be a martial artist because apparently, <laughs> or you know, a Buster Keaton type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, and and there you are. That's where the longevity is. Yeah, I um, I, I'm now into reading the new Cliff Nesteroff book. Speaking of books on comedy. Yeah, you mentioned uh, so you do you, you got that one about uh, Native Americans and comedy. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, it's uh, it's it's great. And, I, and something I like. It's called um, uh, we had a little real estate problem. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a oh, Charlie? Who, who, who is that? Who's that? A joke from Charlie? You told me last oh. last week, and now I can't remember. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I gotta look that up because I feel bad about that. <laughs> um, but uh, what I like about it is uh, Charlie Hill. Okay. Um, uh, what I like about it is he starts sort of at the beginning, but then he'll uh, uh, go to the future and then back again. And like, uh, it's not a linear bunch of storytelling. So you like, you'll hear about a contemporary, you know, Native American comedy troupe and and how and what happened with them. And there's also a lot of references to British Columbia. And there oh, in the beginning, cool. I'm like, oh man, I'm right in. All right, here we go. <laughs> does yeah, he talk uh, about Does he talk about Tom King, like the Dead Dog comedy? Uh, I don't know. Possibly oh, okay. Dead Dog Cafe. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. We started at sort of the very beginning, 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 hmm. and then we. Uh, uh, we're uh, dealing with another uh, modern uh, group, and uh, and uh, yeah, and then of course we get into the history of like residential schools and such things. Wow. And I again, I've read up on those before, and I know they're bad. Mm-hmm. Of course they're bad. Yeah. But like just reading them. Yeah. And just it's just you just got to put the book down and walk around the room <laughs> and just like lean against a wall mm-hmm. and just go block. Yeah. You know, we, th- that was that. That's the Holocaust, man. Like, Jesus Christ. And then you come back and, yeah, it's like, oh, why wasn't there that much, you know, exposure of this, that? And it's like, well, because everyone was broken. Everyone was broken from this. It's just like such a crushing spiritual thing. 
But one of these. There's a crushing thing, and then the and then the people who are doing it felt like they were doing the right thing. You know, this is this is this was a good thing we're doing. They didn't they didn't think of it as cruel. They thought this is this is how we're going to help these people. We're gonna two, we're gonna two, make two. them we're gonna make them more like us, and this will make it all better. <laughs> it's just like, oh he was God. talking about like one of the punishments was you know putting a needle through the tongue of someone, and like this was like a this was a uh, not an unusual punishment. Really? Where, like if someone yeah if someone uh, did did an activity like a punishment activity to the point where they threw up, they'd have to like eat it. Like I know that sounds so grotesque, you can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. But just, like when Cliff writes about it, this is one of the the you know it researches his middle damn name yeah yeah so he is like oh, he has terrible. found like the yeah it's beyond beyond yeah. like the things he's i'm not about. i'm not i'm not referring to the people who were no 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 who were like the prison I, I, keepers i just mean like the people who tried like who framed the idea of having these residential yeah, schools as you keep where, going yeah, yeah, yeah as you keep yeah. going you can see why people would have thought but holy shit yeah yeah and, and, and well it just was it's just the so sort of thing yeah that sorry. it stopped like mm-hmm. you think like well that's in the past in the no, past no. not that in the past in no. the past uh, and so, holy fuck! But that, but but then you get into stuff like you know, again the uh, the joke uh, we had a little real estate uh, problem uh, was you know the joke in total is my people are from Wisconsin. We used to be from New York. We had a little real estate problem, uh, which is his most famous joke, Charlie Hill's joke. Yeah. But one of the reasons you bring up Charlie Hill is he was the only uh, Native American comedian, stand-up comedian, to ever appear on the Tonight Show. To this day, wow. Till now. That's bonkers. That's bonkers. And yeah, uh, yeah it starts off with uh, Cliff talking about this uh, stand-up special called Welcome to Turtle Island, I believe. Mm. And uh, it was just this little special that, again, would, would uh, run occasionally here in Canada. And it was just a stand-up special, but it had, you know, First Nations people on it and Native American uh, yeah. folks on it. Yeah. And there are three major, uh, you know, stand-up comedians who all got their start watching that special and just went, Oh, I could do this. I had no idea I could do this. Wow. Just that's that one special. And so he kind of gets into, you know, how representation does matter and you don't know you can do something until you see someone do something mm-hmm. that looks like you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, fuck. but yeah, <laughs> just that there's been one native American standup comic who's ever been on the tonight show. Does, does, is it, Oh, I'm just trying to wonder like, is it because they don't get exposure? Like they don't get exposed to the people who book those shows or? It's just such an uncommon thing. Because it feels like those shows basically like, like the Tonight Show basically booked out of the comedy store. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you perform there, then eventually you're going to get on to the Tonight Show because that's where the. That's, uh, that's legit. Sure. Yeah. And if you weren't playing there, you're not, you're not going to get seen and you're not going to get. I just wonder like where, like if the people who were booking the show, if it was like an intentional slate or if it was just a lack of exposure for, oh, sure for it was the not an intentional i was well it possibly but yeah i doubt it was an intentional slate i just think it was limited minds again yeah it's the it's, it's the turtle island thing it's just like yeah you know uh, why representation matters because you know these people didn't even think mm-hmm. of like oh i could be a comedian yeah, and, yeah. And, and i'm sure the bookers didn't even think who are we leaving out yeah who are we leaving out uh no they wouldn't they're just thinking, oh, this is what a stand-up comic looks like. Yeah, yeah. And I book stand-up comedy. And so this is where you find the stand-up comics. So why the hell, you know, I'm, I'm fishing in this pond. This is the type of fish that are in this pond. Yeah, yeah. People like these fish. Why would I go to a river? Why would I go over there? You know, you'd have no, you'd have no reason to. And again, it, to, to, to me, it still blows me away that the first uh, Asian-American performer 
is uh, is on Saturday Night Live now. You know, uh, it was booked last year. The first one. That's yeah. ridiculous. Well, that's ridiculous. I don't know if you knew this, but they're really good at math. Oh, very good. What? <laughs> um. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if you looked at like. Yeah. I just feel. I well. I just. I just feel like that the 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 places they draw from the the bookers and stuff like that. Their their tunnel vision. You know, New York, L.A. Yeah. And that just excludes like not just Native Americans, but a whole swath of people who are wouldn't, funny yeah, wouldn't, and. Wouldn't you think though now, like you know, uh, there's been enough years that like a Jimmy Fallon, you know, or Seth Meyers, you know, has had a, a talk show. Yeah. And you know, you think like they look at the internet. There must be someone on there. They go, ah, there you are. Like they can't just be going to two comedy clubs going, huh, there we are. Like they know, right? Like they know from music. They don't just book, you know, a limited range of bands uh, that, you know, are, are everyone's the same color, you know, it's like they, they don't go to like two clubs where music performs and go, ah, I got it. I understand what bands are, but yeah. Well, I guess, they, I mean, uh, bands is a little different though, because bands yeah. have a huge, they have a huge system behind them that promotes and, publicizes bands you know the record companies are the ones that are but i think comedy is a little different i mean you, you might have your agents and managers but i think as you get smaller and smaller in your in in the pool or, or not you know as you get yeah as you you know as you go down and you have less and less representation not, i don't mean that in terms of appearance appearances but i just mean in terms of agents and and people working on your behalf it gets harder and harder for your, yourself to get out there you know it just feels to me like if you're an agent Mm-hmm. And like, if you're like a, you know, the number one agent and you represent Jerry Seinfeld and this person and that person, yep. okay, you're making enough money. You don't need to, you don't need to spread out and go like, who else is out there? Mm-hmm. But if you're like down uh, a couple of levels, yep. you're like, okay, what, what can I do that's different? Who's not being catered to? There's audiences there and they've got money. What, who am I booking? And you, you think you could like a search for, you know, uh, people. You know, Jesus, it just makes no, it just makes no flipping sense to me at all. Like lesbian comedy shows. Yeah, yeah they do yeah. great. Yeah. They do great. And like, you know, so, you know, someone's booking those, someone's making money. And then from there you build up and then you get like a Tig Notaro or someone or, you know, and, and they break all the boundaries and it, it crosses all the things. But the problem, <laughs> the problem with yeah. the, um, the problem, the problem with this is if you don't appear on the Tonight Show, then you don't get a sitcom. If you don't get a sitcom, you don't get a movie, and then you don't get into the pop culture. Yeah. And so then it, that's where it all ends. Mm-hmm. Just nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And like, ugh. Yeah, but again, that still blows me away. With, as bad as that is, Saturday Night Live still, to me, just makes my jaw drop. Yeah, like, that's... How, how the fuck would so many people, you know, in your cast, to the point where there have been these casts that yeah, yeah. Like, how, how that's infinite people, and no one in, like, 40 years. Like, that's... That's bananas. Has anyone <laughs> not brought this up? And it's hands thrown in the air. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've only had like limited black representation and throughout their their shows as well. Like, you know, I know they've always had like a black person in the cast, but that's just it. They had a black person in the cast, you know. And then it got, and then it was a weird situation in that the uh, yeah they had uh, Garrett Morris. Yeah. And then they, and then after that, it went right to Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And then Eddie Murphy was their most successful performer ever. Sure, sure. And then what do you do 
Unfortunately, if you're like a black performer, then you're like, are you the next Eddie Murphy? That's who you're compared to. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're put up yeah. to a standard that no one else can, can deal with. Sure. Like, what can you do? How sure. could you? Chris Rock shows up and is just like, oh, yeah. And Chris Rock's great. Chris Rock, you know, does all this stuff. Chris Rock stuff. is great, but I never felt like he was used to his full potential on Saturday Night Live. No. You know? No, but the big thing was, are you the next Eddie Murphy? Yeah. I guess, no. he, I guess he wasn't. He was, a new, and, he was the next Chris Rock. That's right. And then after he was gone from that, he was able to become the next Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. And then now he's the standard for that. Yeah, I loved his like, Nat X when he was on uh, yeah. SNL. You know, you, you get all these people like a Sarah Silverman or whatever who's like, you see them and they're like just the start of who they're going to be. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's not what Saturday Night Live wants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you get like a, you know, so, you know, then you get like a Tim Meadows comes on. Mm-hmm. And Tim Meadows is like there for forever. I think he was there for 11 years. Like okay. before Keenan. Yeah. He was like there for forever. Yeah. Uh, it's weird that the two longest uh, you know, <laughs> uh, runs are, were, were African-American performers. Um, but yeah. That's because they never got a movie. No, Keenan got a bunch of movies. Uh, you know, but you said Night Live movies? Um, he was, oh, I don't know. He got Saturday Night Live movies. That's what I mean, though. Like, there's, you know... People get their it's pat and they get their their uh, whatever well, that, you know. Uh, Tim got uh, ladies man. Oh, that's right. That was, that's that was right. Really, his only you know kind of mm-hmm. big breakout character, and then he became the go-to guy as like one of the side guys in your comedy, and he'd be he'd always be there and he'd do an amazing job and stuff yeah, yeah. like Mean Girls or what have you. Sure. sure. And and Keenan, you know, I think like his big breakout thing was Fat Albert. We're not able to go to that well anymore. <laughs> this is this is the weird thing to me. Like when you think like how long Keenan has been on the show, he's been on the show so long that he had been on the show for a while when Fat Albert came out, and that was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, what a break! And what you got Cosby to be in the movie? <laughs> Whoa, lucky, lucky! <laughs> so many years go by that they have the 40th reunion special. Yeah. And uh, they have a, a, a Jeopardy question, and it's uh, they try to get uh, Eddie Murphy to play Bill Cosby. Yeah. And Murphy's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I don't want to keep the guy when he's down. And they get Keenan to play the part instead. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's gone that full circle <laughs> in the amount of time that you've been on Saturday Night Live. Hmm. It's gone from lucky, that's great, to whoa, that's yeah. Make get, fun of that pariah. <laughs> yes. Huh. Who who was the who was the big Asian American comic in the past? Like who who are they drawing? Who are they be drawing from? Well, I mean, you could have had a Margaret Cho, uh, you know. I guess on the, on the um, She had her own sitcom though. She already had her like No, this is a weird thing to me. Did Margaret Cho never like do a stand up set on uh, I guess maybe she didn't. Maybe she wouldn't have had to. You know, by the time she was getting seen, yeah. she would have been on All American Girl, so she yeah. would not have been doing stand up. She would have just been doing couch. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think like who, you know, they wouldn't have had Pat Morita on uh, probably back in the day, though he did do a, a circuit. I don't think he did The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a big leap between Pat Morita and Margaret, Margaret yeah, Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now, and I'm blanking on, you know, uh, Asian stand-up comics that uh, might have then uh, gone over and done Saturday Night Live, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a, I mean, from what, you know, I've obviously, I've only ever, my idea of the additions for SNL just come via Mark Marin, and apparently the most unfair thing you've ever heard, uh, but it feels like 
they're not that interested in you as your in your stand-up, but in your ability to come up with with saleable characters, you know, that will well, kind of pump keep the show's wheels turning. Yeah, they had one. Uh, whenever they would do a Saturday Night Live sketch, not Saturday Night Live, sorry, Star Trek sketch. Yeah, uh, they'd get the same. Gu- well, I mean, it was it was a difference of about thirty years between sketches. Okay. Um, where they <laughs> had uh, Chris Pine playing, you know, Kirk, uh, and then uh, the last time they did it, uh, it was John Belushi. Okay. But they got the same guy to play Sulu because he's a props guy who works there. Okay. And just like I don't know, we got to find someone who's Asian. Yeah, okay, yeah. You. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of funny that they brought him back, you know, that amount of time later. Yeah. But yeah. then also, come on. <laughs> Yeah, Bowen Yang is a, like kind of a breakout star now on the show. Good, and, but but the angle they play more up is um, you know that he's uh, well he, he does a lot of stuff, but like that he's gay, so he plays a lot of like just casually gay characters. Like he's in a scene, and the whole thing isn't about his character being gay, but he's a gay character in the scene. I see. The I see. So it's just that kind of representation that like gets thrown in, and that gets played up more. Uh, than you know uh, his uh, his uh, ethnic background. I guess I don't know how you put it, but yeah, yeah. I guess that's good. Although, I mean, I feel like uh, gay actors should also be allowed just to play straight people and not always be. Yeah. Oh, you're gay. Well, you should play a gay person. I think it's because his voice uh, reads that way anyway. So okay, okay. Do lean into it or not? Yeah, yeah. They had a good. Uh, it gets better sketch uh, recently, and they because they had enough you know, gay actors to do it mm. where it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, from back in the day when the, it gets better program kind of came or, you know, idea came through mm-hmm. and then it was like, where are they now? Did it get better? And it was a, it was a very funny sketch, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, good stuff. Spoilers. Uh, did it get better? It got, yeah, it got better, but then real life, uh, other real life things kick in. So like, <laughs> I guess that's it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah the, the the bullying ended, but then I had to start working at a job. <laughs> but then property tax, yeah. Yeah. Kate McKinnon's uh, character was like, I got to marry my wife. Uh, we adopted these beautiful girls who wanted an iguana, and it's been through four tanks, and uh, <laughs> now you know it's all this, and then it kind of ended with. Yeah, you know, her going. It's it's wonderful that I'm able to visit my wife in the hospital. I just wish she wasn't there after being mauled in the face by the iguana. <laughs> and then the iguana's there on the couch with her, and she's Jesus Christ. So it's getting out of its cage. So yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, certain things in life get better, and uh, other things, oh, iguanas. Mm-hmm. So Dave, yes, sir. Um, there comes a time in every show. And, uh, wait, wait and every 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 show, like every podcast that you could poss- possibly listen to, that matter, that matter, yeah. Where a young person's fancy turns to vampires. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. And uh, and 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 during these times, yeah. we like to reflect not on the modern vampires, but of the vampires of yore. Sure. And by that, I mean of your cable package. <laughs> I didn't watch it on cable, sir. I watch it on on my computer. But yes. Oh, very so. good. Okay. Uh, oh, so vampire. Oh, right, because vampires can't appear on television, but they can appear on uh, computers. That's, that's true. true. That's right. They, that's the rule. There. That is. So, the rule. what have you been watching, and what's up with it, and what is this segment called? <laughs> well, this, as you know, is Dark Shadows, and uh, I've been watching the TV show Dark Shadows, which is a weird gothic soap opera from the 1960s that, yes, involved vampires, witches, and other things. Wait a second. Supernatural. Now, when you say vampires, 
Is there more than one vampire, or is there just one? Well, there's just one so far. Okay. I guess I I, I, I I meant just sort of in the sense of, and saying witches, there's only been one yes. witch. I just I meant in the sort of, I'm speaking in g- g- general terms. No, I completely understand. Sorry for calling you on that. I feel like I was a bit of an asshole. <laughs> Apologies all around. Apology accepted. I didn't feel that way. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but okay, very good. I think I thought you were just specifying, just to make because, sure. Because uh, yeah, that condescension yeah. is also one of the things that can kill a vampire. <laughs> so nice cape. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so handy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this week, I actually didn't have like a ton of time to watch Dark Shadows because I had to. Um, I had to send about 40 pages of colors to to nina and so that okay. means that, that means i'm using both both of my screens to like i like to um put the the colored page on my monitor screen and then blow it up really big so i can look just look through it really carefully to try and make sure that i haven't missed like noses and things and um you know just to make sure or that i accidentally like you know uh through some changing a color in one place i turned everyone's teeth purple or something like that you know what i mean so mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I, I didn't have like, acts, you know, so I was doing that. So I d- couldn't use my monitor screen to watch the show or have the show playing while I was doing that. Or I could have, but then I would have missing everything. So, um, yeah, so I didn't, I've only, I only watched a, a little bit last night and, and this afternoon while I was, while I was uh, coloring. Uh, Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I have a, I'm trying to get to page a hundred before the month is over. Okay. So I'm at page 95 today. So I've, I really gotta, gotta work it this weekend. But anyway, so so uh, I guess last week, as everyone will remember, Vicky, Vicky, the uh, nanny who worked in the Collins re- uh, house, she was she was uh, un- on trial as a witch and was condemned to be hung as a witch. So so um, we then go to Barnabas, who learns from from Ben that that um, Vicky has been you know been conv- has been convicted and he he vows revenge on Trask for, for doing this to Vicky. And so then uh, Trask, the Reverend Trask, the person, the witch hunter, he shows up at, at the Collins resident at Collinwood. And he demands to be allowed to go to the old house because he wants to clean out Vicky's um, clothes and stuff that she left there and burn it in order to, you know, remove all traces of the witch. Okay. And so he goes there and of course he runs into Ben and Ben chases him off because this is now the old house which was Barnabas's residence in real life is now also his residence in death because it's basically abandoned by everyone. Angelica's, of course, gone. Everyone, people think she's traveling, but of course he killed her earlier on in the, the shows. So, so it's empty of all humanity. So he's, he's moved his coffin into the basement and is living there. So at this point, Barnabas begins gaslighting Trask. So Trask is like in his rooms in, in uh, Collinsport and he's, and uh, suddenly there's like the sound of thumping and chains rattling and women screaming and he can't locate where this is coming from. And then this disembodied hand appears floating in his rooms and, and grabs him by the neck and starts and, and the voice of Barnabas starts threatening him and telling him that he's go- soon going to die. Yeah. And we know it's Barnabas's hand because it has the, the large gold ring with the opal, the oval opal in it. In it. So we know that's... We know who that is. So Nathan wants to find out some intel about Barnabas, because as you know, he believes that Barnabas is dead, 
or actually has, is in England. He thinks that he's in England. Okay, well, Barnabas is dead. That's Barnabas correct. is dead, but he doesn't know that because the family has ah. been putting around the story that he's in England. So he's supposed to be in England, but when his wife, Suki, who we remember was attempting to blackmail him and, and then and then tried to do the same to Barnabas and ended up a corpse, before she died, she she told Nathan that Barnabas did it, which was confusing to him because Barnabas is not there. He is in England. Mm. And so he wants... He wants to get some information, and so he uh, has this guy kind of helping him. This guy named this this young guy named Noah, and Noah attempts to learn more about Barnabas and what's happening in the Collins family from a drunk Ben Stokes. And as you know, Nathan was because of Suki uh, when she arrived there in, in Collinsport, and then attempted to blackmail him uh, when he was you know getting married to Millicent. When that was discovered, when his marriage was discovered, of course Millicent threw him over and he was thrown out of the Collins house and told to never darken their towels again. <laughs> and so so he can't go there himself and do this. So he's trying to use Noah as a way to, to get information from Ben. So then uh, before they started this whole thing, Bar- Ben had been talking to this woman of the night, this streetwalker named Maud, Maud Browning. And then Nathan knew her as well and she chatted him and then she leaves and then they start their little intel plot. But then we cut to Maud out walking along the, in the the ports of Collinsport, when she meets Barnabas, who attacks her, and to to kill her, but Nathan hears her screams and he runs over and so Barnabas runs off, but Nathan finds Barnabas's cane that he dropped there. So, um, oops, I turned the page the wrong way. This is the problem I have because the way I, I tried to, <laughs> I posted a picture of the notebook as I as I do it. I um, I write right set up on one page and upside down on the other with which is good because it saves me having to my hands resting on the coils of the notebook binder okay but it also it also makes it confusing when i turn the page and uh i go backwards anyway so nathan plans to use the cane as leverage against the collins because he's like well how come the collinses have like how come barnabas's cane is here when barnabas is in england something's going on here so trask warns Nathan about the attack by his the attack on him by the devil as he thinks thinks of it and he's saying you know whoa you know this will happen to you so be in your guard and he describes the hand and he describes the ring on the hand and Nathan so says well that's Barnabas's hand that's not the hand of the devil and so while he's there Barnabas begins to haunt Trask again but of course only Trask can hear it and Nathan is con- confused so now of course Barnabas is worried that he's lost his cane because as we've learned throughout this show, that he cannot stand the idea of anyone knowing who he is or what's happening or what's going on. And he'll so choke you. he'll choke you. He'll out. choke you out. But now he's, but he also gets really worried and paranoid. So he's all worried and paranoid. And Ben's like, don't worry about it. She's not going to remember who you are. He's like, but I left my cane there. And he's like, forget it. You'll do more damage by trying to find your cane than you would just forgetting about it. Mm-hmm. But Barnabas can't leave it alone. So he sends Ben to go to Maud, Maud's rooms and, and recover this cane. So Ben goes there and he's searching the rooms, but of course it isn't there because Nathan took it away. But Nathan arrives to talk to Maud and he and check on her and he knocks on the door and he hears movement in there, but Maud doesn't answer the door and so Nathan chooses he just leaves. Uh, ben returns to the old house empty-handed. Of course, Barnabas is not happy, but Nathan has followed him there. So Nathan spies on them through the window and he sees Barnabas with Ben. So now he knows that Barnabas is not in England. Something is up. The jig. I guess the jig might be up. Okay. Nathan makes so Nathan, uh, you know, he uh, finds Maud 
uh, walking around and he says, what are you doing? You, <laughs> you, your life is in danger. So he takes her back to her rooms, locks up her windows, makes, you know, make sure her door is locked and says, do not open this door for anyone. I'm going to be back soon. And so he leaves. But immediately after he goes, uh, Barnabas magically enters her room. He first appears at the window as a bat. And you'll be happy to hear the bat on the stick is back, wiggling outside the window. Well, they make this sound like someone's squeak, push, squeaking with a, with a squeaky toy. Squeak, 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 squeak. Bat flipping in front of the window. Squeak, 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 squeak. And then Barnabas is magically in her room. And then he attacks her. And then the scene ends. And we're like, uh-oh, what's going on? So then we cut to Trask, who's very nervous about entering his rooms. Because whenever he goes in there, giant hands appear and starts choking him. That's not good. So then he's like, he's like they, can't, they can't do anything to me. It isn't that level of acting as well. Everything he does is wah, 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 wah. So then, uh, in fact, a lot of people get very strident. Even Barnabas gets very strident in this in these episodes. I don't know. It's a different director, I guess. More. Can you give this more more gravelly in your voice? So then uh, he goes into his rooms and he discovers the body of Maud is laying across his bed. Now. And then there's Maud. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was writing this, I was like, oh, man, Ian's going to make a Maud joke. And you did. It's great. Had to. Oh, I know, yeah, it's great. You had to, and I was, I'm glad. It's it was a good one, too. Yeah. You read, I'm wait. trying to work out a Mod Squad joke. But, uh, <laughs> that's fine. We'll go with this. For, that's for this good. Show. That's good. Trask gets, uh, so Trask calls for Nathan, Nathan's help. He needs to get rid of this body. You know, he doesn't want to. And uh, so Nathan, first Nathan's like kind of joking with him. Oh, a woman in your room. Well, I wish I had that problem. But then he's like, no, it's not a, it's not a woman. It's, they've let, it's a dead woman. And he goes over and he pulls the sheet back and it reveals Maud. And so Nathan's quite visibly upset because he had just warned her and had left her and thought she'd be okay. And now she or she is dead. But of course, being Nathan, he merely looks for the angle and he blackmails Trask into bringing a letter to Millicent for him in exchange for his help in getting rid of the body. Ah. So Nathan and Noah take the body and they dump it into the ocean from the, from the edge of the port. From the edge of the docks, I should say. We then cut to Millicent reading tarot cards, which she has never shown this ability before. But now, it's always Aunt Natalie. It's always um, Josette's Aunt Natalie who would do the tarot reading. But this tarot reading, but this time it is Millicent reading the tar- their tarot cards, and the cards tell her that uh, Nathan is going to be destroyed, and she's so happy. Oh. And and her aunt Naomi comes in and she says, "What are you doing?" And she 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 says, "Oh, I'm." Using this to foretell, and she shows like how Nathan is the the he's the love card, and all the cards around it foretell destruction. And then she's at the top as the princess of whatever, and then that means that she's kind of controlling all of this of these events. And we're like, oh, she's, and then Naomi says, you know, you really you really should get out more. So then <laughs> Trask arrives with Nathan Nathan's letter, but Naomi won't leave them leave Trask alone with Millicent. And so he has to reveal that he has this letter for Nathan from Nathan and wants to give it to Millicent and Naomi won't let, won't let him. And she tears it up and, and Millicent says, yeah, I didn't want to read it anyway. Nathan. <laughs> so then Trask leaves and then Naomi throws out the letter and then uh, Millicent immediately grabs it and eagerly like puzzles it back together and then, and then reads it. So she did really want to read it. So let me cut to Trask sleeping. I don't know why. It's like a real jump cut. He, he walks out a door. Someone reads a letter. Then we cut to him like laying in bed sleeping. He hears the voice of Abigail. This is, of course, Abigail Collins, the sister of jo- Joshua, who is the uh, a fear to witches. Mm-hmm. So he has this dream. And uh, Abigail tells him in the dream that she knows the secret and she must tell the reverend the secret. And he finds himself in this 
area and it's you know it has like a door and it's sort of like in the sort of bricked area you know brick walls and then there's a door and he opens the door and it reveals a dripping wet mod standing behind the door and she, she asks him why why he threw her into the water what you know and he's like it wasn't me I didn't know what they were going to do with you. <laughs> and then he closes the door and then Abigail appears and he's like, and he tries to tell her about Maud and she's like, that's not what I'm here for. I don't care about that. Uh, she, she wants to tell him that he has to go to the old house because that is where he'll find the secret of the witch. And he's like, oh, the secret of the witch. So I have to go there. Must be the season of the witch. <laughs> that's right. Yes. The season of the witch, which is Tarragon. So then. <laughs> that's, that's the seasoning. Yeah. Oh, seasoning the witch. Sorry, I was confused. That's right. So then Nathan and Trask are talking, and Nathan is telling him about this dream, and Nathan is like, "What? What happened?" And he's and and Trask is like, "I gotta go to this old house." And he's like, "Well, first, it didn't really happen. It was a dream." And he's like, "No, no, no. It really happened. Abigail talked to me and told me I had to go to the old house." And Nathan's like, "Yeah, but you were dreaming, like not." And then and then but then he's like, also, he doesn't want Trask to go to the old house because that's where Barnabas is, so he knows it's dangerous. Mm. And so he's he's saying, don't go to the old house. But he doesn't want to tell him why, because you know Barnabas is his, you know, is the uh, his card in his pocket, right? That's his that's his trick to get back into the good graces of the Collins family. So he doesn't want to give it all away yet. So so he's like, you know, don't go to the old house. Do not go there. You know, your life is at risk. So Trask goes to the old house anyway, and he goes into the house and he goes into this room and it's like he's kind of, well first he's kind of looking around then he hears. The sort of jingling noises, and then he looks, and the chandelier is is blowing like like it's windy in there, although there's no windows open. And the chandelier is sort of going back and forth, and and he finds this little cryptic note that mm. tells him that when the wind will whisper his name, will whisper a name, and it, and it will it will foretell someone's death. And so then the wind whispers, and it says Trask. And he's all like <laughs> he's all like no, but they do this weird thing where like his no gets like. It suddenly gets weird and echoey and like this repeats like it goes like no like that and then it sh- shuts off immediately to the chimes of the clock so it's really kind of a weird effect but it's kind of kind of effective hmm. and then here's his voice of Abigail and it's telling him it's luring him into the cellar and so he follows the voice and he goes down into the cellar and he gets down there and he sees and the, the same thing everyone says when they go into the cellar a coffin and then Barnabas appears behind him wow. and he accuses Trask of, you know, of, of, uh, well, of, you know, of, well, he accuses, you know, him of knowing that Vicky wasn't a witch, but claiming she was a witch just so he could grab power. And he says, no, she was a witch. And he goes, and both of them are like same level now. No, she was a witch. She wasn't a witch. <laughs> same, same, like angry. And then, so then Trask, he's, you know, he threatens Trask's life. So Trask then recants his accusation. And he writes a note saying, you know, I lied. Vicky wasn't a witch. Signed, Reverend Trask, and and then uh, he says, "Now can I go?" And and then um, Barnabas says, "Who said I was going to let you go? You wrote this on your own accord. I didn't say that. I didn't say I was going to let you leave." And so then, what happens is a real cask of amontillado situation, because ah. he, the Reverend Trask, finds himself bound up, hanging inside a wall, and uh, Barnabas is bricking it up. And it's quite effective, actually, because they... Yes, that's, they, that's the way to do it. They have uh, they have the camera basically behind Trask as the bricks are going up. And so they cut to other things, and they cut back to this. And then there's the final brick that's missing. And you're looking at it from Trask's point of view, and Barnabas is standing on the other side of the brick wall. And he holds a candle up, and he says, Look into this candle. Look hard at this candle. 
because this will be the last light you will ever see. And then he pushes, pushes the brick in place and it all goes black. And that's the last you'll see of Trask, I imagine, unless he comes back as a ghost again, which is nothing against that. I mean, not the actor, though, because the actor will soon appear, I imagine, as another character. But anyway, um, so then uh, Nathan basically hires Noah to become his accomplice and his, his helper in his plan. He has a plan for getting Millicent back. The first thing he does is he makes Noah deliver a fan to Millicent. And I guess he had this fan that was Josette's, and he has this delivered to Millicent. And... Oh, I just turned the book the right way. That's the first. Anyway, so then Millicent gets a fan. And she, first, she's all like, fans? I don't use fans. They cause a draft. I'm too good for fans. But then she like she starts talking about oysters for some reason. It makes herself feel ill. So she opens the fan and fans herself. And then she notices a secret message inside the fan. Oh, it dear. says, meet me in the garden at eight with just a B sign there. So she immediately assumes it's Barnabas, who's finally going to help her and take avenge her honor but it's a giant bee it's just an actual bee the that's bees right love gardens. <laughs> that's right meet me in the garden bzz, bzz, bzz. so then <laughs> and natalie comes in and she discovers millicent is like getting this box of dueling pistols out of this place and she's like what are you doing and she goes oh i'm you know uh she says something about, I'm meeting Barnabas. My cousin Barnabas is coming to help me and avenge me, so I'm getting these guns for him to, to use. And Natalie's like, what? This is not... You know, so she convinces, tries to convince Millicent, you know, that uh, that she shouldn't do this. Yeah. And Millicent's, Mill, and the scene ends by Millicent saying, okay, I, I won't go. And then it, the next scene is her going outside <laughs> to, <laughs> into the garden. No, actually, the next scene is uh, as Peter Bradford arrives to show, to show Natalie, Aunt Natalie... This is Josette's aunt, uh, the Trask letter. And Chris Natalie's like, I don't want to see this letter, a bunch of garbage. Who knows where it came from? And he's like, and Peter actually makes a good point. He says, who benefited the most from all the terrible things that happened? Did any of the Collins family benefit from anything, that, all the terrible things that happened? Did Vicky benefit from all the terrible things that happened? There's only one person that went up in all this, all the tragedy that's happened. And that's Angelique. Mm. And Natalie's like, you're right. You're right. Angelique is the only person who benefited. And she looks and she takes a note and she compares it to a note that Trask had, or letter Trask had sent her. And she goes, "Well, it's in his handwriting. That's where kind of where it hangs." But I, I think Natalie realizes now that Angelique was was the witch. Ah. So then we cut to Millicent going to the meeting spot. She brings, of course, the, the clumsily carries this big giant box of dueling pistols. And uh, what happened is Nathan has arranged, has arranged for Noah, a masked Noah to attack Millicent uh, so he can come to her defense. And Noah uses Barnabas's cane so that Millicent will see it. And she'll recognize it as Barnabas's cane because it has a very distinctive wolf's head on the top of the cane. And so, uh, of course, he attacks Millicent. She's just choking her with the cane. And then Nathan comes in. And he may not explain this to Noah before the, the actual plan, like what the whole plan was. But then he punches him twice in the face. <laughs> but then... Noah gets his own in because then he hits uh, Nathan on the side of the head with a cane. So I guess it's pretty even after all. And then uh, Millicent, of course, is shaken and she's clinging to Nathan. And Nathan is, of course, taking advantage of this to, to get you know to 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 uh, ask for get her forgiveness and and explain to how how terrible it's been for him to not be able to see her, etc. And then um, and then um, she sorry so oh so yeah so then. Um, so basically, you feel like she's kind of forgiven him, and then we cut back to uh, 
to the apartment, back to Noah's rooms, or sorry, back to Nathan's rooms. And Nathan is all like, hey, 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 my plan is working perfectly. Noah's like, listen, this is dangerous. I went out of town. Pay me, and I'm leaving. And, uh, of course, Nathan's pretending to pack because he told uh, his, his excuse for coming to the Collins house when he wasn't allowed there was he couldn't leave town without saying one final farewell to Millicent. So he's he's pretending to pack. He's actually packing his luggage, but he's not really leaving, but he's just putting on a good show. And Noah's like, listen, pay me so I can take the carriage out of town. And then Millicent arrives. So Noah gets shuffled off. And Millicent comes to his rooms and... She tell she tells him that she still loves him, and he proposes marriage, and then it goes black. But then Millicent arrives back to tell Naomi that she has accepted Nathan's proposal of marriage, which is overheard by Joshua, who is let's just say outraged, and we get more loud acting. And then so he gives uh, Millicent a stern lecture for quite a while, and then Nathan arrives and informs Joshua that he will only marry Millicent. With his consent, with Joshua's consent, he then goes, says, I need to talk to you in private. So then he says, with your consent, by the way, I'm going to get this consent by blackmailing you about your son, who is supposed to be in England, but is actually running around murdering people. Oh. But Joshua is literally shocked to hear that Barnabas is alive. Like he is, like, because Nathan thinks he's, you know, that he knows, but he doesn't, right? So he's like, what? And like, you know, and so... But Nathan, like, reels off all his evidence, you know, that Suki said Barnabas had killed her when she was dying. Maud, you know, Maud, uh, not knowing who he was, but, you know, the death of Maud and him finding the cane. And he shows the cane to, to, to Joshua. And so Joshua doesn't agree to anything at that point. But he goes to the old house and he demands to see Barnabas. Ben's there. And, of course, Ben's like, what are you doing here? You should not be here. Uh, don't you know what the sun is, is the sun is going down? And, and he's like, I don't care what's going on. I Demand to see Barnabas. I know that he's here. And, of course, Ben prevaricates and stuff like that. But then finally Joshua forces his way past him, you know, by threatening to return him to, to prison. And then goes down into the into the cellar. And, of course, this is all done uh, all done with the intercut with shots of the sun setting. So, so we know that the sun is getting lower and lower. And then when he goes down to the basement, we see the sun is set. And as he goes down there, he goes in. And guess what he says when he goes into the, the cellar? A coffin? Just like everyone else. <laughs> everyone comments on it. You know, sure, it, sure, sure. to be fair, it is a coffin sitting in a cellar. So even I would, I don't think I'd say it aloud, but I would probably say in my head, a coffin. But he says, a coffin. And it's bigger on the inside. No, wait, wrong show. <laughs> and as, as he sees it, the lid starts to come up and the hand of Barnabas reaches out. And we see the ring on the, on the hand. And jo- jo- Joshua says, Barnabas. And there we go, everyone. That's where it ends this week. Dum, dum, dum. Indeed. A real cliffhanger. You know what I like is that there's so many spoilers for modern shows right now. <laughs> yes. And like, we're gonna, you know what? We're going to spoil a show. <laughs> a million years ago. From 50 years ago. Let us yeah, it's like, it's like I, if I was dropping like gun smoke spoilers. Yeah, yeah. And just like, yeah. Oh, that's that's cool. Listen, no one else is doing this. If I, hope, you want, I hope not. If you, if you want, there's probably some show... That is breaking down all the episodes in depth. Yeah, yeah. But like, no one's giving you this casual overview. Like, you're going to be able to go to the office when you can go back to the office. Yeah. And and people will be around the water cooler, and the topic of dark shadows will come up, and you'll go, you know, that reminds me of the time they went back in time, <laughs> and the actors who played these characters played those characters, and it's like, what? And then a wet mod showed up, I'm like, huh? And, and you know, you're just going to be. The bell or bowl of the office. Yeah. With all, yeah. all your business. So good for you. Good for you. 
It's just a public service. That's why that's why I view it. That is why we do it. If public I don't, service. If, if we don't get the Nobel Peace Prize for this, I will be very upset. And now for some Johnny Dollar spoilers. <laughs> we got spoiler. He had he uh, cheated on his we, expense account. We were very lucky to uh, receive uh, letters from you guys this week mm-hmm. uh, via our message board, uh, via email. Yep. Um, and I think that's it. <laughs> uh, but that's enough. Yep. Um, and uh, and so hey, look, if you want to uh, write to us. Uh, it, it's like maybe you want to talk more about, uh, you know, dark shadows or chickens, you know, <laughs> or such things. Yes. Uh, or talk about whatever our question of the week is. Uh, you're going to go to SinkyDragon.com. That's our website. And you're going to post them probably on our message board. So that's uh, what I'm going to read right now is, sure, uh, is sure. those ones. There'll just, be other options. Oops, sorry. But I'll tell you them later. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, you'll have to go back to last episode, though, because there's a comment oh, from, from Jim Middleton. Okay. Well, he left. A, he left a late one. So uh, all right. Well, but as we always say, don't don't fret about leaving about missing out on questions and stuff like that. You can always comment on older episodes, and we will get those messages as well and make sure we read them on the show. Sure, sure, sure. You know, as we say, uh, better late. <laughs> so I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you read, but I'm gonna disappear for a minute because I forgot to bring my my tablet outside. Okay. And I need that to see uh, emails, so I'll be right so back. I'm but you look for this Middleton uh, letter that you were. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Jason Middleton. Here we go. Yeah. So, um, uh, the, uh, two episodes back, we were talking about what movie or TV show would you like to improve by replacing one cast member, or what song makes you cry? Wouldn't it be funny if the chickens attacked Dave when he went outside? That'd be hilarious. They just like flip out and they're just like, anyway. Um, James Middleton writes. Uh, oh, we're also talking about Dark Shadows. The Dark Shadows of my uh, happily misspent afternoon youth was during sixth grade onward when it uh, ran just as we were coming home from school. There were recessed discussions about the series, uh, replacing the fevered examinations, comparing the merits of the Adams Family versus the Munsters, which had faded from broadcast rotation by then. I saved my allowance to buy the TV soundtrack after that and was disappointed that Quentin talked over the 1900-ish tune Quentin's theme. Oh, that is disappointing. Nevertheless, I saved my post-grad salary until I could find an Edison cylinder phonograph similar to the one played in the series. My brother and I got a kick out of Dan Curtis's habit of rarely doing second takes. So if Barnabas called out someone else's name or if a cane with hidden sword malfunctioned, well, the actors just had to deal with it. So there you go. Yeah, I think they. I think that uh, they came out of the the 50s sort of thing of, of live to tape so yeah we're gonna do and i think it was we're cheaper that way too i think they just practiced the camera moves and then they would because even even if there's often camera mistakes too where they they cut to the wrong camera at the wrong time and it's like out of focus looking at looking off into the distance or something <laughs> and so uh they'll you know so there are you know there are um little mistakes and stuff like that but i have to say that um overall like it's really well it's quite well done and I, i've not really noticed yet like a failed special effect they always seem to do a pretty good job of incorporating those because you know, like the disembodied hand, is clearly like a chroma key where they've got you know the actor or someone pretending to be the hand, and then they're just superimposing it over top of the the screen. But you know they're doing it live, right? It's not it's not done in post. It's done while they're filming. So it's cool. pretty it's pretty impressive. So this week or last week we asked, uh, what's a book you love that you were forced to read? Uh, tell us about a time you were present for a friend's humiliation or a sub sub question was suggested from RJ. Uh, name your favorite 
Anachronist, anachro. Oh, tell me how to get this. Anachronistic, anachro. Anachronistic. Anachronistic. I'm sorry, it is late. That's okay. Uh, drawing room murder mystery film. I could, uh, I could have read that an hour ago with no problem. <laughs> Lisa, uh, who you know, uh, David from uh, Love. Uh, I do writes, I love to read, so to describe reading a book as something I was forced to do is a bit of a stretch. But two that I uh, love and still refer to years after being sent off to study them for my pony club tests over five or six years are The Horseman's Notebook and The Manual of Horsemanship. Uh, <laughs> but you were probably talking about fiction books. Yes, please. No erotica. Uh, <laughs> so Time I had, for some pony uh, play. To read The Great Gatsby for school. But it was uh, by no means a slog. I still really love it. Uh, but a couple of books that I had to really force my way through, hated every minute of, but really appreciate after the fact, were E.M. Forrester's Howard's End and Trussell's The Ragged Trousered uh, Philanthropist. Oh, very good. Okay. Thank you very much, Lisa. I told you to send that one just because it was hard to read for you. RJ responds to Lisa. Aha! Uh, Lisa starts. Uh, I meant to thank you for presenting The Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit quite a while ago last summer. Mm. While I have, uh, while I still have not seen it, I grew up riding Hunter Jumper with a little bit of uh, venting mixed in. Ooh, right, right in our family's wheelhouse, RJ. And it was great to hear your references to show jumping superstars like William uh, Steinkraus and George Morris. Uh, now, speaking of books, Hunter Seat Equation by George e- Morris. Hunter Seat, Hunter, Hunter Seat Equitation. Equitation. Wow, that seems like a makeup word. <laughs> um, uh, was a book I would read obsessively. Unfortunately, I had no idea of the allegations and the hot water George Morris is currently in until you briefly referenced it on the show. And let's just say it absolutely explains the very odd inscription he wrote in that exact book years later when I approached him for an autograph. Uh, uh, for an autograph at a horse show. Oof. <laughs> at any rate, oh, dear. as a uh, movie poster collector, the horse in the gray flannel suit uh, has wonderful poster artwork, mm. and I've been meaning to pick it up, pick up an original on eBay. They can be had for a cheap $15 to $20 uh, US. Well, that is really good. So uh, treat yourself and grab one too while you can. Happy face emoji. <laughs> Thank Our, you, RJ. And RJ just wanted to say while you're while you're while you're there that uh, I saw Jason Jason Dedrick today hmm. because he works he works where I get my glasses and I had to get my glasses repaired because I I would take them off when I'm reading because I have stupid progressive lenses and um, I I was I rolled out of bed and I rolled over my glasses so oh, I, I I bent them all up and so I um. I had to get them repaired, so I, I went by Jason's place today, and uh, and I mentioned I mentioned your kind comment to him, and he was very happy to hear about it. So, so he said uh, he said Fred keeps texting me, so it, you know it may it may yet happen. So there you go. There's some Am there's I some words about that? the words about the gentleman of elegant leisure returning. So good, good, yeah, it would be nice if that uh, podcast returned. Um, our uh, good friend Louise writes uh, the novel I had to read in school that I liked the most was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I read all mm. the other Narnia books Good after one. that. A time I was present for a friend's humiliation. Well, let's just say that when clubs open again, if you have a friend who's a stand-up, unless they say it's okay to catch their act uh, whenever, don't show up without letting them know you're coming. <laughs> it might be a hell gig or they might be breaking in new material and don't want to worry about impressing you. 
It's easier to get over bombing in front of total strangers than in front of friends. Yes, I would say in general, I always feel like comedy is for strangers. Yeah, I think I feel, that's true. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, 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 stand-up comedy and porn movies. They're not for your friends. They're for strangers to enjoy. Yeah, because um, a lot of your act is based on things that aren't really true. You know what I mean? Like, if he's saying some story, you know, like, yeah, I always get my clothes dry cleaned. And uh, and there's a friend in the audience, and you're like, oh, I know my friend knows I never got my clothes dry cleaned. Oh, yeah. it's so awkward. <laughs> yeah, I was walking downtown today. He was not there today. <laughs> he's a liar. We were hanging out together and went out for dinner. Yeah. Oh, before we came here, what is going on? The same thing happened to him last week. Are you okay? <laughs> Friend in that story, I don't know. Why? Um, why? Why do you keep doing that if it keeps happening over and over again? The problem is could be mo- you. Yeah, it's a movie still anachronistic. Did I say that right? Yep. Oh, thank Christ. Uh, <laughs> in a drawing room murder mystery film. If it's set in that time period, yes. Uh, then my pick is the uh, meta homage to the genre, Gosford Park, Good 2001, movie. directed by Robert Altman uh, from an Oscar-winning screenplay. By Julian Fellows. It has the same droll upstairs, downstairs byplay that you see in his uh, Downton Abbey series. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the characters are an American director who's going to be shooting a Charlie Chan murder mystery and the white British actor who'll be playing him. I also like the stylish uh, Mom Noir flick, A Simple Favor mm-hmm. from 2018, with Anna Kendrick as a widowed vlogger who investigates. A murder between giving tips on making cookies and uh, beating friendship bracelets. To the point where I wonder if there's this um, uh, a series on YouTube, uh, Binging with Babish. I wonder if he'll ever do uh, any of the uh, recipes from uh, from that movie. It seems up his alley, and I do like that movie a lot. I like both those movies a lot, and I saw Gosford Park for the first time last year. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I didn't realize, I forgot that it was written by Julian Fellows, and now that now that I know that, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I like the fact that there's an American director in it because he cannot do an adaptation without including an American in it. It's impossible for him because he knows where the money is. That's right, America, Jetching. <laughs> um, uh, Blake Lively and Henry Golding also star in the. What? In the Who's this? William Golding. Oh, you, I don't even go, boy. <laughs> also star in the sly R-rated three-hander. Most of it takes place not in a drawing room, but in the sleek open-plan kitchen and living room of a modern house in Etobicoke. It has a <laughs> great soundtrack of cheeky French pop songs. That sounds really good. I've never even heard of that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's worth a watch for sure. Uh, Edward Dragansky. Are we at the end already? I don't think we are. But how can that be? Edward's here. Well, we'll see. Uh, I'm writing to you from sunny, 80-degree weather. Quite a departure from the events of last week. Oh, it sounds really uh, hot. Yeah, it doesn't. Like, I, don't I don't know what that means, but it sounds I don't hot. know what it means either. 80 degrees, is that hot or not? I don't know. Me neither. Here's what I know about American weather. It's over 100 degrees. It's too hot. <laughs> I've been in that, and it's like, okay. this is too hot. Yeah. yeah. Here's the it's... thing about uh, Celsius. Yeah. Uh, 20 degrees is room temperature. 30 degrees, we're going, oh, this is too hot. Yeah, get it. Get it uh, 35 degrees, oh, this is really too hot. 100 degrees, dead. You're dead. <laughs> you're dead. Water is you, boiling. You, you, you are just, dead. You're just ashes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm writing to you from sunny 80-degree uh, weather. Quite a departure from the events of last week. Almost uh, seems like it didn't happen at all. Uh, there are some shortages of food, 
though, due to power outages and the difficulty trucks uh, had delivering across the state. I heard some horrific stories of uh, having to throw out $8 million worth of milk. Oh, no. Because of lack of power, caused it to spoil. Ugh. Hmm. Chicken and livestock deaths were also reported. Did they, did, they, did they sniff it before they threw it out? Yes, every one of them. A lot of people, they just throw milk that's expired like the, on the first day. They're just like, oh, this is expired. They don't sniff it. That's not always accurate. I think it's because uh, power went out. Less, not, that, not that it was uh, expired. It was, uh, it was Does, I don't know. It sounds, doesn't sound, it sounds the same to me. But anyway, go on. There should be a way to actually just test milk, like something you can dip into milk and just go like, is this milk off? Dip. Nope. Okay, it's good. So you wouldn't have to like, let me just take a taste. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You don't you have, have to take to a taste. You can just smell it. If it's off, you will know it. Maybe, but maybe you got COVID and you can't. Or if you pour it out and it comes out in chunks, then you know it's no good. Then, then you know it's become like another type of dairy product that's good. Um, chicken <laughs> and livestock. Okay, now I'm getting into sad things. Dave, don't let the chickens hear this. Chicken and livestock deaths were also reported due to a lack of heat to keep them warm. Oh, poor thing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some heads will roll in Austin. The agricultural commissioner has already expressed his outrage over uh, being not being better prepared, oh, being better prepared, which we weren't. Uh, no, no. It's, it's funny, like you say, like it almost seems like it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, last yeah. week people dying of in the cold and yeah, it's, it's uh, crazy. It's a, horror, it's a horror show. So sorry about that. Uh, I had a, a few really outstanding literature teachers in college. Uh, they made their classes very enjoyable. Uh, one way was to assign a more diverse genre of books to read instead of the same old classics everyone droned on about reading. One of my teachers uh, turned his curriculum into learning about genre-centered stories like comedy, for example. Funny you mentioned Woody Allen in the last podcast. Well, we know that everyone wants to talk about him right now, so that's why we do. We cater to that. We're just going like, you know what? This is so terrible. Let's just bring it up and really talk it up. And everyone's happy and nice, and it all works out great. So this is what we do, and I'm glad that you enjoyed our nice, safe, little, happy discussion about that. Anyway, um, because... And we, and we repeated it this week, just to make sure oh, that... Oh, yeah, again, people were like, more, please. And I was like, you got it. Are you... When I'm, when I'm talking about this book, are you are you crossing and uncrossing your legs? What's <laughs> going on? No, I'm, I'm fine with it. I get okay, it. Good, good. Uh, because my teacher assigned side effects by Woody Allen for us to read, and I loved it. In fact, I still have it. I wasn't sure uh, what I was getting into, since I only had seen a few of Allen's films, but I really enjoyed his essays. He assigned us uh, books we would like and enjoy discussing with each other. I remember looking forward to his class and actually having so much fun, it didn't feel like a college class. Well, <laughs> I heard colleges were fun. I watched Animal House, and it seems like it's just a great time. It's like a laugh riot. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring up The Godfather again, and only because of the character Johnny Fontaine. The discussion you had about Frank Sinatra fascinated me, and I, like Ian, have no clue why people idolized him. To be fair, many enjoyed his singing, which is fine, but the man was notorious for so many dark dealings. You may already uh, know that due to the cultural osmosis you have with The Godfather, uh, but it's rumored that the character of Johnny Fontaine was based on Sinatra. He shows up as the first uh, in the first of the film as a guest, uh, Vito Cor Corleone, uh, for his daughter's wedding, and sings for the guests. Fontaine is deeply involved with Corleone. I'm saying that too too strongly. Corleone. <laughs> Corleone. I, it's Corleone. Yeah, let me just say this about Corleone. I, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry right now, and I would like a big plate of Corleone after this. Sure. It's nice shelled pasta. 
you get the rigatoni on oh, it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then you get the rigatoni on pasta. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ricotta. It's oh, my God. I was going to comment on that. but that's, Hey, I love the pasta. Give me some rigatoni on that. <laughs> I know it's two kinds of pasta. <laughs> Can I have some penne, too? Penny me up. <laughs> on that. And, and ask for his uh, help. He asked for the help of uh, Don Cor- Corleone. Uh, it seems that Fontaine is up for a role of a Holly- in a Hollywood movie, and the producer won't allow Fontaine anywhere near the film. The role is perfect for him, but I don't want that guinea bastard near my film, says the producer. Ooh. Uh, he doesn't like Fontaine, even though he knows this film will be a huge win for him. Fontaine then goes to Corleone for a favor, much like Sinatra probably did, with uh, Giancia, Santa, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know. Gian, or even, Giancana. Okay, I hope I don't have to say that name again. Uh, or even Gambino at this point. Fontaine asks Corleone for some help uh, getting him the role in the movie. So the family counselor, Tom Hayden, is uh, sent to Hollywood to convince the producer to put Fontaine in this film. The producer refuses. And that's when he wakes up with the horse's head in his bed. A very well-known scene and the consequences for not complying with Corleone. In a, in a later scene, we see a huge bouquet of flowers arrive at Corleone's office. It's said they're from Johnny Fontaine, who got the role in the movie he wanted. In real life, the film was From Here to Eternity, which earned Sinatra an Oscar for his best supporting role in 1954. So this all lines up, and it's rumored that Sinatra was furious over the similarities between Fontaine and himself, which just kind of confirms it might actually be true all along. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. If uh, you kill a horse in a movie, you're you're bad. You're all bad people. And you just want the horse's ghost to just come after you. That's a big flaw in that movie. Not a horse ghost coming after him later. (laughs) Um, Not so much friends, but I've been present for way too many humiliations concerning co-workers to even mention. Uh, The the one that comes to mind first, and yes, it's Dr. Pepper. All right. Take a drink. Take a drink. Dr. Pepper got mentioned. Mmm, refreshing. Of course, I'm drinking Dr. Pepper 10, the first metric, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's uh, very old. I shouldn't have drank it. Uh, it came out in chunks. Um, and yes, it's Dr. Pepper. Was when, well, that's just Dr. Pepper. You no, know, <laughs> that's true. It was when uh, Sir Dominic Cadbury himself was due to visit our office. Uh, this was right after Cadbury bought Dr. Pepper, and the new owner was making his rounds early. So we were told quite sternly, that we had to be uh, up in our seats working when Sir Dominic arrived. One of my coworkers didn't make it in on time and was ripped up, down and sideways by our director for it. I felt bad for her. She and I were close and it uh, didn't really phase her all that much, even though she actually did make it on time to meet Cadbury, just not as early as we were told to meet there. Uh, We shook hands with an actual knight that day Probably the wealthiest man I'll ever meet. Well, you might meet David me one day, and uh, we might make a lot of money with our, uh, you know, podcast we're going to do about uh, dark shadows. <laughs> the money's going to roll in, everyone. And then uh, Edward tr- uh, corrects himself, saying uh, the character's name of the Godfather is Tom Hagen, not Hayden. Well, you know what, Edward? I bet you I mispronounced it anyway. Don't worry about it. No one's noticed it. Everyone's talking about that whole, this guy likes pasta on pasta. What a fucking maroon. Anyway, played perfectly by the amazing Robert Duvall. He is amazing. That's one of the the other problems with Godfather 3 is it doesn't have Robert Duvall in it. Yeah. 
And he doesn't have enough uh, pasta on pasta action. For they, would, they wouldn't pay him $5 million. Mm-hmm. I love the smell of Duvall in the morning. Uh, Mick writes us, <laughs> hey, chaps, great questions. Thank you kindly. Thanks, Mick. Uh, at my first semester at university, I was shell-shocked that I had to read two novels a week. Before then, I'd read at best four serious novels a year for school. Uh, supplemented but lots of comic books and Doctor Who novelizations. <laughs> and those Doctor Who novelizations, you look at the books and go, this isn't much, but they are bigger on the inside. This is true. Uh, I quickly slid into an anxious weekly spiral of impenetrable half-read text. Worst of all, it seemed like everyone around me had read them all. They hadn't. They were just better at faking it in tutorials than I was. That reminds me of something I used to do with novels I had to read where I would read every other chapter and go, does this make sense? And then if it didn't, I would go back and read the chapters in between the ones that mm, didn't make sense. Uh, That was a bad thing I did, but (laughs) half the time. Uh, In the midst of all this, I hit a low point when faced with reading a novel called Small World by David Lodge, an English novelist I'd never heard of. I was pretty much ready to quit university when I started it, (laughs) only to find it was one of the funniest books I'd ever read. Mm. It's a perfect satire of the university world I was struggling to adapt to, and was exactly what I needed. In the many years since, I've read all of David Lodge's novels, many of which are set in universities. I am so grateful, in hindsight, to have discovered his books. Uh, Most of my memories of humiliations are purely of my own doing, and too many to list here. Keep sneaking! I like like David Lodge a lot, too, Mick, although I've only read uh, nice work by him. Chris Roberts, it's time for a letter from Chris Roberts! It never hurts to hear Chris Roberts. We don't wear skirts when we read Chris Roberts, because then we'd be flirts. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> books I had to read, but enjoyed. I'm reading. A, I'm wearing a kilt, though, in honor of his. Oh, there you go. Wow, kilt with kindness. Uh, but enjoyed included <laughs> Animal Farm, Death of a Salesman, and Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I like how he chose. All. I like. I like. I. Death of a Salesman, that's okay. But I, I'm not really... I don't like, no, it's not, because that's a play. I don't, like really, say, pl- I don't really like reading plays. That's not a book. I don't really like reading plays, but I liked Animal Farm a lot as a kid, and I, I like Lord of the Flies, too, although it really bothered me because there was a character in it who was exactly like my brother, and that oh. character bothered me so much. Anyway. Was that character the conch? <laughs> yes, my brother. No, the pig's head. My brother is very much like a pig's head on a stick. <laughs> Sir oinks a lot. <laughs> All downers, yes, but pretty uh, dazzling in different ways. I was also lucky to have one teacher who was a huge James Thurber fan, thus opening the door to the Algonquin Roundtable and all those great New Yorker writers and cartoonists. That's a great discovery when that happens. It's not exactly a drawing room murder mystery, but I love the first film uh, version of Anthony Schaefer's Sleuth, the one with uh, Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine. Me too. I haven't seen it in years, but my memory is that the two leads have a load of fun with a witty, clever script that subverts many of the cliches of the cozy English detective genre. Agree. The remake is a little too obvious. though. it's okay. It's okay. Watch it on a plane. When you can go back on a plane, you'll uh, you'll like it. Um, But yeah, watch the original sleuth for sure. Uh, This isn't hugely embarrassing, just one of those moments that stays in the mind. I was in the audience at an open mic a few years ago when a musician friend began playing James Taylor's Fire and Rain. He started off okay, but quickly hit a blank spot with the lyrics at the end of the first verse. Looking pleadingly to the audience, he asked us, what's the next line? Meaning to be helpful, I called back, 
I just can't remember. <laughs> Come on, what's the next line? Me, now joined by Seth for others. I just can't remember. He totally thought we were taking the piss. But that's the line, damn it. <laughs> and of course, he went down in flames, uh, you know, that's like the, the song. Uh, that's good. I just can't remember. Um, oh, I've lost the lyrics to Tequila. Anyone? Yeah, tequila. <laughs> tequila! No, I don't want you to do the whole song. Just tell me the lyrics. Tequila, again, I'm the one singing here. Could someone just tell me the next line? Pennsylvania 6, 5,000. Thank you. That's all I ask. RJ writes us, Why gets meinen Schnickerin? Oh, boy, this is all in German. I'm in trouble. Uh, I'm ashamed to say I was a dreadful student between grades 6 and 8. You and me both, brother. Sixth grade coincided with the glorious science fiction year of 2001, <laughs> an age where America became a police state, uh, and every living room, even in our own rural Massachusetts, was outfitted with much-vaunted family computer. Ah, yes, the glorious <laughs> family computer. My generation is probably the first and last to enjoy this strange feng shui phenomenon. When my friends and I weren't busy exploring uh, the pornographic recesses of the Google image search function, Al Gore's information superhighway also provided a very useful little tool known as sparknotes.com. For those of you who may not have been familiar, and that is me included, <laughs> Sparknotes was and is a convenient way for students to BS their way through whatever academic course of their choosing. Why read the book when one could read a 16-paragraph summary of said book and subsequently reap the rewards of just barely passing the following week's exam? <laughs> if memory serves me correctly, even these barely conclusive Sparks Notes summaries became too much for me to read. So much of these uh, three years of middle school uh, was such a total crapshoot. In hindsight, it is astonishing that I completely BS my way through uh, works like The Scarlet Letter and The Odyssey, without even troubling myself to at least read a barely legal summary of each chapter posted online beforehand. After all, I was uh, too busy chilling in my room, snacking on lint truffles, and watching Peter O'Toole movies. Living the good life is what yeah. I call that. <laughs> yeah. I was a weird kid. No, you were not. You were not, sir. Is it, sir? I don't know. Um <laughs> Unless you want to, unless you want to be weird. I don't know, RJ. Maybe I don't know. Um, uh, thankfully, it picked up uh, for me in high school. Hemingway's "The Sun Also Rises" really uh, resonated uh, with me. The mildly homoerotic tale of uh, people bumbling around pre-war Europe. It had been a cool decade and a half since I read this, so it is on my 2021 rereading list. Incidentally, I did a pre-birthday splurge last weekend and almost picked up a copy. Uh, but when I saw it was $26, I told myself I could buy it used and then grabbed my first Philip K. Dick novel instead. By Yay. the way, happy birthday, Dave. <laughs> I seem to remember your birthday being a day after mine on February 24th, but I could have mixed you up with another podcaster, meaning it's either Andy Kindler or Greg Proop's birthday. Well, thank you, RJ. Yes, it was my birthday on Monday, the 22nd. I would say uh, Dave is like a combination of a little bit of Kindler, a little bit of Proops. And that we both wear glasses. Yep. Nerds! <laughs> At last, Albert uh, Camus's The Stranger also in intrigued me. So much so that I subsequently used it 
as my thesis project while applying for architecture school a year later. The project involved Camus and Sartre Camus. as disagreeable. No, am I pronouncing Camus wrong? Okay, it's, yeah, it's Camus. Camus. Yeah, that's, that's he's French. Sound, he's French. Doesn't sound right at all. As disagreeable next door neighbors and the design of each of their uh, houses in plain section and elevation, uh, in plan section and elevation, reflected their contrasting philosophies. When my bumbling 18-year-old self nervously presented this to the assistant architectural dean one stormy evening in Chicago, he found it... But is this, was this story written by Snoopy? <laughs> he found it extremely odd, but also impressive. And I was able to con the school out of five years of tuition-free education for my undergrad. Not an easy feat in America. No, that's really great. A little something like this. This would be, of course, the dean going like... I read your work. I think it's extremely odd. <laughs> and I wish we had a thousand more just like you. <laughs> but we've got 2,000 more just like you, so we don't need you. We don't need you. We just want you. And it's great to have you here. Now get out of here! <laughs> okay. I'm Dean McMixingle. <laughs> And I'll see you on Monday morning. Class starts on Sunday. And we don't want you here then. Come here Monday to clear out your things. Why? Because we're getting you new things. guy like you deserves all new things. And that's what we're going to get you. And we're going to put them in the garbage. And that's where you're going to find them. Anyway, sorry. Um, the, the The moral of this bloated post, let your kids be weird and F up. I may have uh, hated Hester uh, Prynne and that damn letter emblazoned on her chest in seventh grade. Uh, but the literary and film references I discovered on my own through this time influenced my appreciation of figures like Camus and Sartre, which somehow got me into architecture school years later. That's great. P- P- Go ahead, Dave. I just said that's great. Uh, you can still see Camus play, uh, at uh, SeaWorld. Whereas the <laughs> way. He uh, jumps up and goes, Why? <laughs> it's kind of sad, actually. Um, yes, Philip K. Dick was an amazing writer. Yes. Uh, please keep dropping as many uh, literary references through the show as usual. As I saw his name on the rack and remembered you guys discussing him a few weeks back, uh, Dick Talk segment is probably asking a little too much, but I'll be listening for any other mid 20th century fiction recommendations you guys rattle off in the future. Cheers. I don't think we, you can we, we, keep uh, the dick out of uh, Dave's mouth. He will <laughs> more. Uh, I do. I do love the dick. But yeah, and, and, we'll, and you're going to get your fill of that dick if you just keep listening to Sneaky Dragon. I just want to. You know, enough to... of that. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, you know we're doing all this kind of double speak and double on top. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to talking about that uh, earlier. Peter O'Toole. Now, there's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I really know how to use one. The I was just want to say, RJ, you did not say what book you got, so that I'm interested in that. For, went for that, and yeah, I do. I remember, uh, it wasn't you and I, but I remember Mary and I spent like a half an hour talking about Philip K. Dick at the start of one of our. I can't remember which one now, but one of our listener, uh, lis, uh, one of the listening party episodes. I don't know why we got onto that subject, but but yeah, when Mary was. Um, when Mary spent some time away from the family. She would spend about six months in Quebec going to school there. And so I would send her these little care packages with uh, homemade cookies and books in them for her to read. And I sent her a bunch of Philip K. Dick books over the, over the time period because I wanted to uh, 
brainwasher into reading them. It was really effective. It's so hard to <clears throat> it's so hard to like get your kids to read things that you like, you know. But it was it's so it was so great that she was far away and had no access to books like that, and so I could just send her whatever I wanted her to read. So she could read books like Robertson Davies and uh, Philip K. Dick oh, and nice. Evelyn Waugh and people like that. So I just you know, you're forced to read them. Enjoy them. Uh, <clears throat> Is that all for letters? Is that all for letters? Uh, that's all for letters as far as the webpage goes. Do we have any emails? We there? do have. We do have emails. Let's turn to emails then. Let us turn to emails. And let me go to that. And let me go to here. And just one little email. This is from, from Brent Tannehill. He likes to he likes write via email. And I appreciate it, Brent. He says, I enjoyed your comparison of people who always say they're the best with people of some unnamed country. People in the United States who always talk about how we're the best in the world are the conservatives. Us liberals have a more realistic view of things. This is a quote from Al Franken in his book, Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them. And to quote, he says, We love America just as much as they do, but in a different way. You see, they love America like a four-year-old loves his mummy. Liberals love America like grown-ups. To a four-year-old, everything mummy does is wonderful, and anyone who criticizes mummy is bad. Grown-up love means actually understanding what you love, taking the good with the bad, and helping your loved one grow. So there you go. Thank you, Brent, Aww. for that quote. And then, But he did put it for a subject line for the email, USA is number one, exclamation mark. So talk about oh. mixed signals. It doesn't say in what. That's true. But that's, to me, when you don't say what specific thing, you mean in everything. Oh, that's not good. You don't want to be number one in everything. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you I know one fact. The USA does number ones. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you tell them. I, well, I just did. You did. Good for you. I don't need to do that again. <laughs> All so right. That's it. Oh, that it. That's it. That we just said the one. All right. Very good. Uh, so we're looking for. Uh, oh, okay. Here's the thing. First of all, I want. I do want to have one of our questions of the week be. What's a skill that you learned that you know mm. that you remember learning, or maybe the, the last skill that you remember learning and really concentrating on? Like, oh, now you can do this thing now. As I said, like mine was like juggling and uh, cooking. Those are a couple for me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to learn uh, shuffling cards. Uh, yeah, is there a skill uh, that you uh, learned? You know, what was the last skill you learned that you really uh, put some work into? Okay, okay. All right. Do we have any holdover uh, audience questions? We do, but I have one I'm going to ask as well. Okay. I'm just reaching. I'm just reaching for my notebook that I wrote this stuff in. So uh, okay, we'll make that the sub sub question. So my my sub question is: um, Is there something that occurs in popular media that is anodyne, like most people wouldn't notice it, but really bothers you? Ah. So for me, just for an example, it really bothers me when things happen in parking lots because I because you I, used to work because I, I used to work in parking lot, and so I feel that they're really simple places that aren't that complicated. And so it always sort of bothers me in movies or TV shows when they make parking lots more complicated than they actually are. Oh. Like, I can't find my car. Oh, this is so hard to get around this parking lot. No, no. It's a grid. Or even worse, it's just a spiral. Like, if you can't find your car, just walk up the spiral. You'll find it. But anyway, that just bothers me. We, or, or like we've in... Had um, time, we've had times where you and I are looking for a car. Yeah, yeah. But we find it. We don't go to the, we don't go to the uh, lot attendant and, and cry about it. No, we died. We died. Of <laughs> we died of yeah. exposure. That is true. Part. You're right. It's still there in that Seattle parking lot. Uh, but um, yeah, it also like in the movie Fargo, there's a scene where where uh, Steve Buscemi's character is escaping from the from the uh, the the drop 
the getting the money when he kills the the father or the father-in-law and then he drives out and then he shoots the lot attendant i'm just like what is going on they shouldn't be encouraging that in these movies boo yep agreed i docked that movie four stars for that (laughs) so yeah there you go that's that's my question so so let's go to our our um this is from jonathan this is a question for jonathan jonathan asked jonathan as i always say two-time winner of the question and answer show draw he says uh were you ever asked a question that was so profound or essential to you that it caused you to change your perspective or attitude in life wow that is a fine that is a fine question to ask yeah uh yeah i, I have yeah. to think about it. i have to think about it for a while because I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head i i think it was for me it was grade six uh, i'm in uh i'm in uh not grade six sorry Grade uh, grade eight. I'm in, jun- I'm in junior high school. It's the first day of junior high school. Okay. And uh, and I and I, I, I was told uh, to uh, write a journal. And you said write a journal every day. And uh, and I wrote in it that I um, when I'm around people, I do what they want. I become the person I, they want me to be. And uh, you know so I can get by. Yeah, yeah. And the teacher uh, read that. And just and it came up to me and went, uh, well, how do you know then who you are? Hmm. And uh, and I know they were being deeply philosophical about it. And 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 you know what I wanted to say to him at the time, uh, but I knew it would not be a good thing to say to him. Was I don't give a fuck about this place. I'm just trying <laughs> to survive. Sure. I'm. I'm. I, even back then, it was like I'm. I'm just. I'm buying time. Till I'm out of here, mm-hmm. and and to do that, I am uh, being what every one of these maniacs around, <laughs> yourself included, <laughs> wants me to be. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, you know, so that uh, you'll uh, fuck off, hmm. uh, and then uh, you know, there you go. But he thought like you know, I was not uh, defining myself as a person. And he's probably right. It's, it's not if you get if you see uh, like a kid writing that, you should have a word with him. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was an interesting one. It helped me because I went like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really don't give a fuck about this place. I got to get out of here as soon as possible. And that uh, philosophy uh, propelled me through junior high school. Got to get out of here. That's a, that's what this is all about, getting out of this place. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I always, I, I'm a stronger personality now, but when I was younger, I would, when I was talking to someone, I, I would find that their verbal manner, mannerisms would creep into my speech as I was talking to them. So I would start to mirror them unconsciously. So I think that's definitely part of that is your attempt to get acceptance. You, uh, you yeah, find yourself. You know what I, I think this episode needs is one more reference to Woody Allen. But let me say uh, <laughs> the film uh, Zelig I really yes. related to. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Someone who wanted to be liked and so would just change into, you know, uh, the, the group that he was with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess whether that was like fascists or people of a different race, you know, he would just immediately adjust uh, for, for safety. I was yeah. like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but my, I had, I had an overall thing of just like, when I get out of here, then I'm, I'm fine. But I've just gotta, I gotta do my time. Gotta look at the, look at the floor and do my time. And <laughs> there you go. That's how I'm gonna get through this uh, pandemic as well. So there. Um, but I am gonna be, I, but I'm surprisingly honest on podcasts and uh, and in um, uh, things that I care about. So you know, if I'm telling you the truth, then you know that I, I care about a thing. 
And then I'll tell you probably maybe too much truth, frankly. I look back <laughs> on my old uh, mini comics. Yeah, maybe, maybe too much. Uh, maybe too much on here. Who knows? But uh, yeah. Um, so look, yeah. we're, we're, we're ending this now. As, as in like, not the whole podcast. <laughs> we're going to just end this episode. <laughs> we're going to end it for 484 or whatever it is. And, and I can't, uh, yeah, we're going like, we could make it to 500, but we're not going to. We're going to just, <laughs> yeah. um, here's, here's the thing. Uh, if you want to write to us, as I said before, go to sneakydragon.com. Message words are there underneath each episode. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, why not to uh, write to us and answer our questions? Answer them. Or uh, go to sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That's our email. Sneaky D at SneakyDragon.com. Fairly easy to remember. Or if you want to go to Twitter and be that kind of person, I don't know why, but uh, Sneaky underscore Dragon is our Twitter address. We're also SneakyDragonTumblr.com. Uh, so here's uh, the things that I'm plugging. You may have heard Dave talk about doing some coloring. He is doing some coloring right now for the third Sparks book in our series of Sparks books. They are written by me, they're True. colored by Dave, and they're drawn by our friend Nina Matsumoto. They have been the previous two, Sparks and the currently, they're both out. Sparks and Sparks Double Dog Dare are currently out, and both have been best-selling books in Canada. Both have won awards. People seem to like them. Uh, if you if you got a kid, uh, kids like them. They're for kids. But they're also, why don't you read them? You might get a laugh out of them. So there you go. So I say there. Uh, I also did a book for... Um, Image Comics called Extra Sisters. They've been collected in two volumes, Volume 1, Volume 2. Volume 1 is called Damned If You Don't, and Volume 2 is Kick of the Darkness. So there, that's a thing. Uh, if you want to read a comic that I've written uh, uh, with my wife, Pia Guerra, and it's drawn by our friend, Moritat, uh, go to hellkitty.com slash super, and you will get a comic book on there that's pay what you want uh, about a uh, hospital for the superpowered. And if you go, I just want something for free, fine, be that way. Here's what we're going to do. Go to Go Comics. Go Comics. That's where you're going to find all the comics. What, well, what do you mean? Like a Doonesbury? Yeah, that's there. Nancy? Damn right. Moon Mullins? No, not anymore. Why would there be a Moon Mullins? Don't be that kind of person. <laughs> anyway, other things there, for sure. Uh, Little Orphan Annie's still there. Um, uh, but if you go to Go Comics and uh, look up Mannequin on the Moon... That is a new comic strip that my wife, Pia Guerra, and I do, and that just started this week. So uh, we've gotten quite a few yeah, followers congratulations, congratulations on that, by the Thank way. Thank you very much. We're really happy with it, and uh, it's, a, it's a real treat to be with that company. If you see our name, uh, our, our strip listed on the site, we are right above Marmaduke, and that's where you want to be. You don't want to be below Marmaduke. That is a dirty dog. Um, but above Mar Marmaduke is a nice place to be. Um, so, yeah, Mannequin on the Moon is what it's called. It's at gocomics.com. It is uh, free. Uh, you can uh, like it. You can do those kind of things. And that uh, is a, is a, makes us feel good if you like our things. So there you go. Is there anything that you want to plug or talk about, Dave? Actually, you mentioned Twitter, and that made me think, why well, we had a little bit of Twitter activity this week. So I thought oh, I'd quickly, quickly uh, go to that. And first to thank everyone all our wonderful listeners who said happy birthday to me on Twitter yes, and on Facebook as well. I really appreciated that. Thank you. But also um, Scott wrote to say, he said, happy birthday, David. Hope you have, hope you've had a great day despite being forbidden to go anywhere or do anything or have any sugar. Cause I'm on my Lent fast right now. Do what my wife is doing. She's 50 on Friday. So this is Friday. So happy birthday to your wife, Scott. Pass that along, please. 
She's 50 on Friday, but is refusing to accept 2020 counted. So she'll yeah. be 49.0, or sorry, 49.0, is how you say it? 49.0? Yeah. And next year, she'll have a big 50th party. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. So he says, best wishes, Scott. Oh, it's Scott McGinnis. Thank you, Scott. And yeah, we had some nice nice comments from people. And also, I had made a comment on on what, uh, that, something that I think Ferg had sent us. And I just said, okay. I said, choke watermelon. And someone liked it, Olivia Williams. And I'm like, who is this person who who liked this? That's nice that she liked my my little jokey tweet. And then I went to her, her thing just because I like to see who who that person was. You know, you know how it is. And you know, of course, it was. Uh, I like being nasty. Follow me, and I'll send you my favorite photos. And I went, oh boy. Oh, cool. That's great. Just what I wanted. Nice. More bots, please. But yes, okay. thank you, real people, for, for your wishes. And to all you sexy bots out there, wow. uh, best of the season. <laughs> That's right. All you sexy bots. Thank you, sexy bots, for keeping people in their homes That's and right. safe. That's right. Sexy bots. I've read Philip K. Dick. I got your number. That's right. <laughs> Dreaming up your electric sheep. Ew. <laughs> Sorry. That's not, I don't like that at all. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been uh, the show that we do. We will be back, uh, you know, at the same general time next time. Yep. So uh, I've been Ian. I've been David. It will be Sneaky Dragon 2, Electric Sheep, next week. Yep. Bye. <laughs>